This episode of What's in the Box Office is brought to you by Podgo. Podgo is the easiest way for you to monetize your podcast, providing podcasters with a flat rate for ad space so you always know how much you get when you include an ad from Podgo. Apply today to become a member and immediately be connected with advertisers that fit your audience. That's podgo.co at P-O-D-G-O dot C-O and be sure to add our podcast in the How Did You Hear About Podgo section of the application. We did it and uh, we're pretty happy with it. I'm very excited. The round of 32 begins with decade-defining films and performers going head-to-head to advance to the Sweet 16 Candles. Jack and Rose versus Ben and Matt. Ghostface takes on ghosts. Neo and Trinity battle Buddy, Buzz, and Woody. You know, I had that initially switched, and then I was like, no, I like the alliteration of Neo and Trinity, Battle Buzz and Woody, but I still read it the same way. Well, Uh, Buddy is their People Magazine couple's name. (laughs) Two comedy titans face off against them. I also did face off with the slash, only I could just get that, but I just want to let everybody know. Uh, Against themselves as Robin Williams takes on Robin Williams and Jim Carrey goes up against Jim Carrey. Plus, we've got Spielberg's magnum opus versus Tarantino's. And Kevin McAllister was able to fend off the wet bandits, but how will he fare against the dinosaurs of Jurassic Park? We find out as Multiplex Madness Forever continues on this, the 146th episode of What's in the Box Office. Hello, everyone, and welcome to What's in the Box Office. I'm your host, Brian. And I'm your host, Noah. And, you know, I've made it pretty clear over the past couple of weeks. I have no love for Home Alone, Kevin McAllister, or anything. But I do think it would be pretty great to see him just, like, swing a paint can at a T-Rex. I think be it would like, be more... You jerk! I think it would be more like the raptors in the kitchen kind of a thing. Okay. Yeah. But, like, he's intentionally making them, like, run into the side. Oh, yeah, he's, like, leaning down from the banister going, like, Ha, you almost got me that time. And the rapper's like, oh, that f- kid. Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to kill rap- that kid. Yeah. The, the raptor, in this case, is played by Joe Pesci. <laughs> he did the motion capture. <laughs> it's much like in The Irishman, where it's just a very slow-moving raptor. Just de-aged a couple yeah. million years. <laughs> but he's playing younger. So, yeah. Yeah, but he still just, like, moves like an old man. Yeah, sure. <laughs> Um, we have a lot to get to today. I really, I screwed up the, the intro and I'm so sorry, but we, we can't even go back. I can't dwell on it and I'm not, no. this is me not dwelling on it. And so I think that's important and just healthy for a frame of mind to not dwell on a mistake that you made. I understand that's how star athletes often think. So you, you have know, to have the memory of some, uh, something that the opposite of an elephant. Where it's very quick memory. Plea. You have to have the memory. You have to have the memory of Drew Barrymore in Fifty First Dates. Yeah, you there you go. That's thematic. You can't dwell on. So when I screwed up there, when I said, "What did I say?" Uh, Neo and Trinity battle Buddy. That that's something that I shouldn't think about. Nor should I bring it more into the podcast that it's already uh, needed to be. Oh, oh, should you spend a couple minutes vamping about it? <laughs> Certainly not. That's exactly my point. No, that's a good point. I shouldn't vamp on it because nobody, no, because no, because nobody wants to hear it. It's wasting time, and they're already looking at the runtime of this podcast, going, "My God, it's so long. This must be why." But it's not because I'm not going to. You know what I mean? I'm not going to bring it up. Basically, perfect. Starting now, (laughs) that'll be a rule. 
<laughs> we'll never speak of this again. Multiplex Madness Forever, uh, round of 32, part one. So we now have 32 remaining contenders for the title of the greatest blockbuster of the 90s. And we need to cut some of those. We're, again, cutting it by a quarter. We're taking half those contenders in the God, all the Godfather Conference, and they're battling it out here for a spot in the Sweet 16 Candles, the Spike Lee Division, the Mel Brooks Division, the John Carpenter Division, and the Steven Spielberg Division. Some heavy hitters, Noah, are going down here. Yeah, there's going to be uh, going to be a couple of big cuts. Uh, a few of them are going to be upsetting, I'm sure. Uh, one I've... of them is certainly going to be upsetting to one of us. Well, it's going to be me. I know what you're talking about, and it's going to be me. And I'm fine with it. Because uh, it's not a movie that should win this contest, whereas the other one has an outside chance of taking the whole thing. So it's fine. Here we go. Let's start with that division that we're both talking about, the Spike Lee division, the dramas. Uh, the one seed, Titanic, will take on the fifth seed, Goodwill Hunting, and the three seed, Pulp Fiction, takes on the seventh seed, Schindler's List. Titanic was released December 19th, 1997. It had an opening weekend of $28.6 million, a final gross domestically of $600 million. Goodwill Hunting was released December 5th, 1997, opening weekend, $10 million expansion once it finally opened in a bunch of theaters, and a final gross domestically of $138 million. Uh, so we have five categories. The uh, the math one, bigger profit relative to the film's budget, uh, quality of movie, the film that had the harder road to success, and then we're splitting legacy into two categories. So the legacy of the film itself, is it talked about? Is it in? Has it influenced the industry? in some substantial way that we can still see today. And then the legacy of the principal players. Is this a big moment in the actor's careers? Did it launch anybody? That kind of thing. So our first category, the bigger profit relative to budget. Titanic costs $200 million. It grossed $1.8 billion. That's profit of $900. Goodwill Hunting costs ten, and it grossed $226 million. That's profit of $2,259.1 goes too good will hunting. You know, it's something that we we've talked about before, where it's like that doesn't make sense in your head when you're looking at the numbers. Ten million to two twenty six, but two hundred million to one point eight billion. Certainly, Titanic should win, but it's a weird thing where if you have a smaller budget, you have so much more leeway to get a higher percentage than if you have a yeah, larger. Budget. Yeah, it's just a it's a rate. You think like two hundred million is a really high budget. That's one fifth of a billion dollars. Uh, yeah. Or yeah. is ten million dollars? Very small budget. It's a much smaller percentage of uh, two hundred and twenty-six million. Game one, two Goodwill Hunting. It's a big win. It is a big win. I still don't like Goodwill Hunting's chances here, but I, that is a nice win for them. I don't think I'd bet on Goodwill Hunting, but I, I think there's, I think there's going to be some talk to be had because let's move on to the next round, which is quality of movie. Uh, I think we're both going to give this to Goodwill Hunting. Running away, yes. Okay. Uh, harder road to success, um, based on the sheer size of the gross, I'm giving this to Titanic. I think that's probably right. Yeah. Uh, but I, I mean, listen, Goodwill Hunting making 138 is great, but it's yeah. not unheard of for an acclaimed drama that becomes hot to make that kind of money. Titanic making almost double not almost about a hundred million away from double what the previous highest grossing movie ever made made is mind blowing. I think that's true. I was, I had, I had briefly in my head conflated the uh, domestic and global box office. I was thinking like, I don't know. Goodwill hunting getting to two twenty six is like, right. That's pretty weird, but yeah. uh, 
but no, I think I think just looking at the uh, the regular domestic numbers that we usually go off of, I think that the the scale of Titanic success was uh, was unheard of. I mean, uh, if we are doing then, it, 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 hardly ever happens now. If we, oh, it certainly doesn't. If we, and it might never again. If we are doing worldwide gross, Titanic. No movie had ever made over a billion dollars. Titanic made one point eight. Yes. So even then, I think Titanic still gets harder road than Goodwill Hunting's so two twenty six. When you when you say it might never happen again, what do you mean? Because oh boy, from my well, it listen, has a couple of times. No, I mean again from now. I mean like it might never oh, happen see. again. Yeah, again, Start. yeah, okay. not not from Titanic, but sure. We uh, don't, we yeah, don't yeah, know. Yeah. This is a longer conversation that I'll kind of dip into later, but we we. We might get to a point where no movie will ever gross over a billion dollars again domestic in theaters. So, I would, I would be pretty surprised by that. Well, listen, if if uh, again, well, this is a long, but if if if, if every studio uh, follows Warner Brothers' route or just the um, the deal that studios are now making with theaters, where yeah. their movie is in. Uh, th- they they can pull their movies out of theaters after like four weeks or whatever. Um, then there's just there might not be enough room. We don't you know there's a whole it's a whole thing, but uh, yeah. it's possible. Um, uh, legacy. So what we'll, we'll, uh, what are we at? We're at two one Goodwill Hunting. Yes, we are. Legacy of the movie itself. Uh, it's good. Well, it's good. It's Titanic here. I, Titanic is going to get both of them, but I think. The, the sure-handed one is this one, the movie itself. Yeah, I, uh, I think I think I go Titanic here too with the, uh, you know, you couple in the award success, and it's still, it's still broadly considered, you know, one of the greatest romances. Oh, it's of still all time. yeah, it's still very incredibly beloved, and I think that uh, just yeah. the staying power of the soundtrack, the visuals, the dialogue, like I just it all is there, yeah. I think I think that's right. I think you uh, know I've, I think people I've still there as well. As much as last summer, you know, uh, Leonardo DiCaprio, Brad Pitt, and Margot Robbie were, were being interviewed for once upon a time in Hollywood together, and uh, the interviewer asked, um, "You know, come on, you all could have fit on that door," which is a an annoying question considering that he's probably been asked that eighty thousand times, and it's twenty three years later. Yeah. But the reason why I think he did it. And I think it was smart was because it got Brad Pitt and Margot to have to like almost bully him because they were sitting next to him. So like, you know, so like Brad Pitt leaned over and quietly just went, you come on, you really could have. Right. And Leonardo was like, I don't want to. He's like, oh, come on. Come on. And like Brad Pitt was like nudging him a bit. So even still, that shit gets brought up. You know, what I, I mean? truly can't imagine how I would react if I was <laughs> if I was in Leo's shoes and people to this day kept being like, "You're gonna fit on the door." I think I think I would just look at them like, "Okay," as if it was his decision. Yeah, sure. <laughs> as, as if it was his yeah, decision. It was but also it was, like <laughs> that, that happened when I was 14 years old. But also, like, yeah, but even more so, the years gone by. Be like him being like, "Yeah, probably," but it wasn't yeah. written that way. I didn't have any free will. It wasn't like I was like you know. We we improved that ending. I I I, tr- I truly think I would just look at the interviewer and say, "Okay." <laughs> well, you'd get a bad reputation. Um, I, I I would no, it would not it would not be conducive to me being uh, the biggest movie star in the world. 
Well, speaking of biggest movie star in the world, I, th- I think we should get into the second legacy here because I, I understand that there's a conversation for Goodwill Hunting for the Ben and Matt of it all, and I think that's huge. But I think that if we take you know Kate Winslet, who is nothing to sneeze at as far as coming out of this movie with success, she's a, one of our greatest actresses, and one of us acclaimed, and how much this is still James Cameron's like biggest thing, like this, you know, he didn't make another movie after this for 12 years and won't make another movie after that one for 14 years. But, um, you know, aside from that, I think the Leonardo DiCaprio of it all, it outweighs Ben and Matt. And then you add in Cameron and, uh, uh, Winslet. And I think it's, a. Uh, I, 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 th- I think it's, I think Leo is just the biggest factor here. Here's the, uh, here's the counter argument just for the sake of discussion. Sure. This is, this is not necessarily my take. Uh, so Titanic, I think when you look at the legacy of James Cameron, like in 30 years when, uh, you know, when he's on the tail end or retired or what have you. And we're so uh, close to Avatar 2 coming out at that point. It's just, it's, I, we're know, I, dis- it's, <laughs> I, I deliberately said 30 years so we could realistically finally be done with the avatars. Yeah. But, we're, we're all, I think at that point we're coming up on Avatar 3. We get a trailer yeah. next week. It's very exciting. I think, I think at that point you'll have basically kind of three distinct parts of James Cameron's career. You'll have the uh, you'll have the first the first section where he's just like the incredibly 80s. acclaimed. Yeah, 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 the '80s, the action movies, uh, Aliens, Terminator Two, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera, when he's like the the Chris Nolan of his time, but probably better regarded uh, even then. Uh, yeah. Then you have the the sort of tail end of his career when he really gets into Avatar, like he makes the new biggest movie ever made and then turns that into this huge franchise to really define the, uh, the latter part of his career. And then in the middle you have Titanic, uh, which doesn't, doesn't really relate to either of those things, except that it like avatar was also the biggest movie of all time. I think it's possible that in the scope of James Cameron's career, uh, it will, it will be, a little farther back on the list. Uh, and Kate Winslet never gone on to like be a movie star. She's an incredibly talented actress and a very, uh, very reliable hand in roles, but is never really like front and center. Meanwhile, Goodwill Hunting, as you mentioned, uh, launches uh, really firmly, firmly launches and cements Affleck and Damon. Uh, you know, Damon's Damon's no Leo, but he's uh, he's like the next tier down, maybe. Uh, Affleck, a tier or two below that, but still like a movie star. He's the accountant, for God's sake. Uh, so then the question for me is where where is Goodwill Hunting in the legacy of Robin Williams? How because it's it's a very hard question. And even just like let let's just think of his uh, his film legacy. We'll separate like his stand up career from it. Well, like it won him an Oscar, so it's got to be pretty high. But like, I don't think it's number one. I, I think I'd probably go Genie 
number one. But I think Goodwill Hunting is probably like top three most important Robin Williams. I think it's in the five. I, d- I, I don't know if I go three. I think it's that Doubtfire, uh, maybe Good Morning Vietnam. I feel I feel like it's this Good Morning Vietnam and uh, Dead Poets are rolling around together. Okay. I think that Dead Poets got him his first nomination. Good Morning Vietnam shot him to superstardom. And this got him his Oscar. So I think it's, and you know, I think it's, it's, I think they're all rolling around together. So yeah, I just, I guess, I guess my ultimate argument there is that Titanic has like, Titanic has Leo and is really kind of solely responsible for the massive superstardom of Leo. But Goodwill Hunting has a slightly, a slightly broader. I think the question we have to ask ourselves is where does this fit in on the filmography of Cole Hauser? Pretty is it, high. Is it number six? Is it number seven? I mean, what do you take out? What do you put in? No, and here's and here's why here's why I'm voting Titanic. Here's why that whole argument I went through doesn't work for me. <laughs> is because even if even if it's true that like Titanic is sort of like the is behind all those other things on James Cameron's legacy. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, his eighties action films are like maybe his most like acclaimed work. And the avatars are kind of his most visible, uh, big franchise success. And Titanic is just kind of this sort of this one-off romance. He made this one time. Uh, it was still the biggest fucking movie ever made. I, I, I think in regard to Cameron's filmography, it's this or Terminator two. At the top, and there are no other answers. I mean, Avatar's got to be a possible answer. No, because nobody remembers Avatar. I think that if we're talking about from if we're talking about importance to his legacy, uh-huh. it is this or Terminator Two, and I think it's probably just this. I, uh, Terminator Two is probably a close second, and then third is you know Avatar or the first Terminator. Yeah, maybe. I mean, regardless, wherever wherever Titanic ends up on his list, uh, it's high enough for uh, to get my vote. Titanic moves on. That was a uh, a good a good fight by Goodwill, though. Takes down Will Hunting. Let's see what Titanic will face: uh, the three seed Pulp Fiction or the seven seed Schindler's List. Pulp Fiction was released October fourteenth, nineteen ninety four. Its opening weekend was $9 million. It grossed 108. Schindler's List was released December 15th, 1993. Opening weekend, $4 million expansion. Went on to gross 96 domestically. Pulp Fiction cost $8 million. It grossed 214 worldwide. That's a profit of 2,674. Schindler's List cost $22 million. It grossed 321. That's a profit of 1,610. Game one goes to Pulp Fiction. A big win as always. Quality of movie, uh, I give this to Schindler's List, and I'm guessing you're going the other way. I am, yeah. And there's yeah. really a, you know, there's really not much discussion to be had here. These are both uh, arguably the greatest movies of two of the greatest directors of a generation. Uh, I don't, I don't know that Pulp Fiction is as arguable. I think that just is kind oh, of yeah. Tarantino's greatest so movie. Yeah. Whereas Schindler's List is only arguably Spielberg's greatest movie, so maybe there's your argument. But no, it's just a like I I prefer I prefer Pulp Fiction. That's more more my speed. 
All right, and then Harder Road to Success. So are we picking the movie that's by the biggest director of all time at the time, but is still a three-hour somber, you know, grim Holocaust, black and white picture? Or are we picking the movie with a bunch of big celebrities, but is unconventional and done by, like, a newbie director? Who, who? I mean, Reservoir Dogs was buzzy, but it wasn't, like, a big hit. But people sure. certainly knew about it. But Pulp Fiction, you know, Harvey Keitel, Samuel Jackson, John Travolta, even though he was not a big star at the time, he still is John Travolta. Uh, and this was his comeback. Uh, Bruce Willis, you know. Yeah. I... What, what do we give more credit to, the cast of Pulp Fiction or the director of Schindler's List? And I guess just Pulp Fiction is Pulp Fiction, even though it's unconventional in two and a half hours and just like whatever is it more digestible than the subject matter of schindler's list like what 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 weighs what here i think uh, i think pulp fiction is more digestible i think like word of mouth probably would have gone around pretty quick that like this movie is this movie's fucking great and mm-hmm. just like just like fun great uh, i th- i think for me it's I don't think I don't think I would normally uh, go director over cast as what has more influence on a movie's success necessarily, but I think Spielberg is sort of a is kind of a unique uh, unique case in a class of his own. My guy invented the blockbuster. About six months after Jurassic Park became the highest grossing movie of all time. Yeah, I. So I. I think I think I I think I I give the harder road to Pulp Fiction on that basis that Spiel, Spielberg is just like in a in a complete tier of his own in terms of driving success to movies. I think I am too in the sense that adult movies could still make money back then, whereas uh, who knows how people would have reacted to Pulp Fiction. But I think the curiosity and the uh, just the buzz around Spielberg, yeah, yeah, I'll give it to Pulp, I'll give it to Pulp Fiction there. So you have fiction winning, and I have uh, Schindler's List at 2-1. Yes. Now we go to the movie itself and its legacy, and it's Pulp Fiction. You, there's still there's a generation of filmmakers who spent four years writing haphazard and shitty homages to Quentin Tarantino in their film classes. Yeah. And uh, just as many imitators that actually made it to the big screen. Um, so just that the influence of that movie is still being felt and will be. So I give that to fiction and fiction. I think, I think that's a, I think that's a good reason to do it, but uh, I do just want to shout out the legacy of Schindler's list is enduring. It is uh, pro- pro- probably still the definitive uh, cinematic take on the Holocaust. Uh, and is, uh, is certainly a contender for Spielberg's greatest movie. And that is a very long and uh, sort of full of juggernaut list. Yeah. I want to find uh, one thing. So keep, keep, keep talking while I find this. So yeah, this is a much like quality. This is just, this is a, this is a matchup of two, uh, two incredibly strong, uh, incredibly well-regarded contenders here. Uh, But I do, I do think sort of the broader, a cinematic influence of Pulp Fiction is a a good tiebreaker. Whoa! 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 Shut up! 
Are you uh, replaying your intro? Yeah, one <laughs> yeah. we're never to speak of again. Well, I think if we play it bit by bit, if I, I'll pause it every few seconds, we can really okay. get into sort of sort of sort of break it down like an NFL replay. Yeah, exactly. While the while the referees are like, "Oh, let's." We all see the answer, but let's stand here for five minutes. So they have to pretend like, yeah, you look at it this angle again. This is really the angle. Now we go to this other angle and you don't see much there. Uh, Very curious as to what it is uh, you're looking for. So what I'm looking for is the legacy of of Schindler. And you mentioned Holocaust thing is because of this. In 1994, Spielberg established um, the uh, sort of... uh, Formerly the survivors of the Shoah Visual History Foundation, but the Shoah Foundation, uh-huh. um, which is a nonprofit organization dedicated to making audiovisual interviews with survivors and witnesses uh, of the Holocaust, okay, and other genocides, um, and uh, and so because of this, and so that that's what I was looking for was just whether it was in fact a result of this, but uh, but it says that it is, and, and so far. Um, there are over 112,000 hours of testimonies stored in the archive um, from people because the generation that went through this is, you know, dying. That's just how life works. And so things tend to forget. And we all, you know, the whole thing of remember the Holocaust is, is very important because there's more and more denial, bait about it and shit and skepticism. So um, I've always loved that aspect of it, that he, after doing this, spent so much time investing uh, money and resources into making sure that the people who were there were filmed uh, saying what had happened as a visual testimony. So I think that goes into part of its legacy as well. Yeah. It's a, it's, it's, it's tough for me to like, I don't know, to quantify that within, within the context of this tournament. Because you're a Holocaust scenario. Sure. <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> it's hard for me to contextualize that as an argument because the Holocaust didn't happen. So it's just like, I don't yeah. really know. No, because just when you put that up against like, well, you know, a lot of people like. No, well, it's not. Well, it's not. It's <laughs> no, and I, I'm not using that as an argument to go over Pulp. I think Pulp Fiction takes it because it's the legacy of the film itself, the influences of the film. I think uh-huh. Showa is its own thing. It started a year after Schindler's List. It's not called the Schindler Foundation. You know what I mean? I just I feel like it's it's a happenstance and a result of the film, but okay. I don't think that they're immediately. That's why I had to look it up. I, I don't think you. they're immediately connected as one thing. That's all right. That's all. I just wanted to, as we say goodbye to Schindler, I wanted to point out that not only is it the definitive movie of its subject, there's also it also birthed this like incredible uh, resource and this this truly important thing. But I do think, as far as the film industry and whatnot, I mean, even if I even if we give this to Schindler, the next thing's going to fiction, and yeah. fiction wins gross. So, you know what I mean? If even if this ends in a tie, sure. <laughs> Uh, fiction grossed more domestically, so it's taking it. So we can give it to Legacy on the basis of that, if you want. And if we go into the Legacy of the People, Pulp Fiction gave us Quinn Tarantino uh, as a mainstream director. Re, you know, John Travolta's career bounced back. It was the big vehicle for Uma Thurman. Schindler's yeah. List did Liam Neeson. So even if that goes to Schindler, are we still tied? Schindler's Schindler's List gave us uh, fucking Taken. 
Uh, <laughs> so yeah, if we if if you and I both voted Schindler for the rest of it, yeah, it would have tied and then gone to Pulp Fiction. Yeah, so it's you know, yeah, it's going to fiction, and that's fine. I, I just wanted to make sure I got that out there because it's an important part sure. of Schindler's list legacy. Absolutely. Um. So I mean, these are the two movies that certainly have the biggest chance of taking this whole thing. And now they're going against each other early in the competition in the sweet 16 in two weeks, Titanic against pulp fiction. One of them yeah. will not continue on this competition. Uh, that's wild. Well, uh, well drafted by me. Thank you. Yeah. By you. Yeah. Thanks. Uh, I also drafted Schindler's list. Um, our next division the uh, the Mel Brooks division. Some you know. Let's move away from the Holocaust, and I, which I know. Uh, no, never mind. Uh, let's. <laughs> yeah, I was, I was gonna say. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna harp on it. It's not great. I'm not gonna harp on it. Um, <laughs> we have the comedy division. Uh, Mel Brooks. Springtime for Hitler. There you go. That that's all transition. Um, the one seed Mrs. Doubtfire against the four seed The Birdcage, and the two seed Liar Liar against the six seed The Truman Show. We have. Two of the greatest comedy stars we've ever had in the history of cinema going against each other before taking on no, going against themselves against before themselves taking on each other. each other. I mean, it's we know we're getting a Jim Car- a Robin Williams versus Jim Carrey finale. We just don't know which yeah Robin Williams and which Jim as Carrey. Far as, as far as comedy of the nineties, that's that seems right to me. It, it really is. It's going to be the most. And it's we have like the you know a broad comedy of theirs against a prestigious comedy of theirs. Which one? Yeah. Uh, Mrs. Doubtfire released November twenty fourth, nineteen ninety three. It's opening weekend twenty seven million five day. It opened over Thanksgiving. Final gross two hundred and nineteen million. The Birdcage released March eighth, nineteen ninety six. Opening weekend eighteen million dollars. Final gross of one hundred and twenty four domestically. Mrs. Doubtfire. Uh, cost $25 million to make it grossed 441. That's profit of 1,764. The birdcage uh, had a budget of 31. That's a gross of 185. So a profit of 597 game one goes to Mrs. D. Did you rewatch either of these? Are you pretty much sure where you're going with this? Okay. I, I, I've seen, I've seen these, both of these movies many, many times. So what do, what are you uh, going with here for quality? Birdcage. Me as not, well. Uh, not, e- not even not even really a question to me. No, it's not a question. Birdcage is one of the best comedies of all time. Um, it's a movie that... It's like the only movie that I want to watch with all of my friends. If they haven't seen it, I'm like, that's what we need to do together. I want to be there and laugh with everybody. It's just absolutely terrific. Doubtfire will always have a special place with me. I've watched it a bunch since I was a kid, but there's no question here. Um Harder road to success. I mean, I feel like it might just be the inflated gross of Doubtfire. No. Yeah, I th- I think that's I think that's right. That I, I will I will tell you Noah that it, it's a year after Aladdin. Okay. So it's coming off the heat of Aladdin for him. Yeah, but it's two hundred and twenty million dollars. Like that's that's about what Aladdin made actually. <laughs> that's it's, I think that's almost exactly what Aladdin made. Sure, but. But Robin yeah. Williams spent very little of that movie with prosthetic boobs. Uh, some of it, I think there's, I think there's a bit where the I'm, uh, yeah, there is a bit yeah, when he uh, when they're doing a Prince Ali and he. Yeah. Dressed I'm, the I, I'm just saying, like that's a that's a Disney movie in the the height of uh, 
Disney movie fervor. No, I'm just saying uh, he, he was the biggest thing to come out of that. And, yeah. and uh, so this coming right after it is, a, is, is pretty big, but then the birdcage came three years after. Yeah. Know, I don't, I don't, I don't think the, the disparity and like what Mrs. Doubtfire and the birdcage were expected to be is as big as the disparity and what they ended up becoming. All right. Uh, so I'm going Doubtfire as well. Does the subject matter of the birdcage mean anything? I mean, it had a big director. Nathan Lane wasn't really a big movie star. But, you know. Two, two years removed from The Lion King. Yeah, but it's not the same. <laughs> like. <I know. laughs> I want to be clear that I know that that is not the same. Okay, great. Um, I... All right. I The gross is big enough. I will go. Yeah, I'll go with Doubtfire, I guess. It's fine. I know Birdcage isn't going to win this. Um, Legacy of the movie. Uh, Doubtfire had, was the number two film in 1993. $53 million. Ugh, 53 Metacritic score. It won an Oscar for makeup. The Birdcage was the highest grossing and still is. A LGBTQ film of all time. 72 on Metacritic and an Oscar nomination for production design. I mean, so the legacy of the film itself, no, what do you think here? I mean, there are kids exactly our age that have watched Doubtfire 8,000 times. Yeah. I see this is a, this I think is where the subject matter really becomes important for me. I think I'm leaning birdcage because that I, I find every, uh, every time it comes up, the highest grossing uh, LGBTQ film is, it's just a, it's a very strong, uh, it's a very strong contender because that is, that is still true today, right? That's not at the time. It is. I am, I'm, I'm fairly sure I'm checking as, now. Yeah. As, but it's like, as far, as far as you know, that's the intention yes. of the stat there. Yeah. And like, that's, that's nuts. Like I just, I think, you know, Miss Doubtfire is a huge hit, but like, we're not, we're not talking about, uh, you know, some little like indie comedy that you and I just really like, like this movie's a big deal. A lot of people, a fucking lot of people saw it there. 124 okay. million. So Noah, uh, yeah. Ro- rocket man made 10 million more. Um, Philadelphia apparently made two Oh six worldwide. So okay. maybe, maybe I was thinking domestic or perhaps uh, it's the, uh, the, the comedy. It's well, the it's, LGBTQ comedy. it certainly domestically was, yeah. um, rocket man. Can you look how much rocket man made? In North America, yeah. I feel I mean, like it's, it's, not, it's. I think it's ninety. I, I don't think it crossed the hundred mark. The Imitation Game, I don't think did. Philadelphia didn't. Uh, so Bohemian Rhapsody, which is like dull. Um, Bohemian Rhapsody made a shitload, and Bohemian Rhapsody did make more domestically. So if we want to count Bohemian Rhapsody, then that takes it as the highest. Grossing. I I don't. <laughs> I, Rocket Rocket Man made ninety six million dollars. Yeah. Plus. So domestically, it is number two. It was number one, and it's number two to Bohemian Rhapsody, which I believe does in fact fall into that category, even though it's if you say so. It's just the opposite of what it should be. Um, but uh, so yeah, it, it is number. Okay, two. it's it's inc- it's incredibly high on in the list. I think yeah. I think it's very I think it's very significant, and it gets my vote for that reason. Um, legacy of the movie itself. All right, I give it to the birdcage too. And then uh, yeah, 
What do you think about the second one? What are we feeling here? I don't know. It's tough. I The thing about the broader legacy of Mrs. Doubtfire mm. is that, like, I don't know. I don't know how broad it is. Like, I don't think it, I don't think it really ranks on like the Pierce Brosnan list. I think it's just completely eclipsed by his time. As, sure. Uh, I think his it's time as James Bond. And then now kind of his role as like the sexy older gentleman. I think it's pretty big on Sally Fields. Uh, Cause it was a big hit and a big deal. And I think it's big. I think it's higher on Robbins and the bird gauges just because it was massively I, successful. And I think yeah, it's, it's definitely higher on Robbins, but then like, I, I guess really the question is where do we, uh, where do we go on the legacies of Hackman and Nathan Lane? Uh, and, and, <laughs> Hackman's you know, it's frankly, low. Mike Nichols. Hackman's and Nichols. It's low. I think. I mean, Nichols, you know, it's certainly three or four and Hackman. I mean, that's not, that's not low. He didn't make that many movies though. I'm, I'm pulling up the, uh, I'm pulling up the Nichols list. I think we all, I think you're, I think you're right about, uh, You're right about Hackman for sure. It's like it's like a fun it's a fun role. He's good in it, but like, come on. Uh, Birdcage certainly falls below Virginia Woolf and The Graduates, uh, which you know. Can Can you read me greater, all like Can you read me all the significant ones on there? I. Uh, yes. Uh, so Virginia Woolf and The Graduate. Yes, uh, higher. Greatest, uh, greatest opening two films of a director ever. Maybe, I, uh, I don't think. Uh, and see, like there's a lot of these movies in the '70s and '80s that I just don't like. I don't know how big a deal they are. Uh, we got Catch Twenty Two, Carnal yeah. Knowledge, Maybe. The Day of the Dauphin, no. uh, The Fortune, Guild Alive, Silkwood, Heartburn. So, so Silkwood and Heartburn, maybe. I. Uh, then we get into Biloxi Blues, yeah. Working Girl, yeah. Postcards from the Edge, yeah. Regarding Henry, Wolf, uh, The Birdcage, Primary Colors, uh, Closer, and Charlie Wilson's War. I think certainly Working Girl is higher than The Birdcage. I think that's a very big deal. Um, I, think, I, think, I, think that's pro- I think I would, just ba- based off of what I know, I would go Graduate and Virginia Wolf. Uh, yeah. A couple of orders of magnitude, and then like Working Girl in the Birdcage. And so I, th- I think I'd probably put it four on his list, but like I think that's, I still think that's significant. I just I feel like with uh... I think with Chris Columbus who did Mrs. Doubtfire, it's yeah. It's big for him. I mean, he also did Home Alone in the first two Harry Potters, but I think I, it's, I know. I was, it's big for him. I think I think that's true. I think that's that's tough because you you re- you recently made the point, uh, probably two episodes ago, when we were talking about this last, just how Chris Columbus is a quite the unsung, uh, yeah, really big deal. Yeah, I uh, yeah, that's that's tough. If 
if Mrs. Doubtfire had been made by just like some guy, then I, th- I think I was leaning Birdcage here. But I gotta, I gotta go, I gotta go Doubtfire with with the Williams and Chris Columbus. I think I do too. I think I do too. All right, so just Doubtfire moves on. It does. Another one seed moving forward. It's a good, it's a good, it was a good fight for the birdcage. We say goodbye though. to the birdcage. Truly a movie that everybody should watch unless you're a friend of mine, in which case wait for me and I'll watch it with you and we'll all have a good time. Okay. Perfect. Liar Liar, the two seed, against The Truman Show, the six seed, The Carries, battling it out. Liar Liar, released March 21st, 1997. Opening weekend, $31 million, found a gross of 181. The Truman Show, released just over a year later, June 5th, 1998. Opening weekend, $31 million, final gross, $125. Liar Liar cost $45 million to make. It grossed $302. Profit of $672. The Truman Show had a budget of $60. It grossed $264. That's a profit of $440. Point one goes to Liar Liar. So, Noah, did you, you rewatch both of these or just um, the Truman Show? Well, I rewatched the Truman Show this afternoon, and then we watched Liar Liar uh, early last year. How did the Truman Show go for you? Because it's getting my pick. I think it's a masterpiece. The Truman Show went well. I wouldn't go so far as to say masterpiece. Uh, but I do think it's very good. I think it, it kind of it loses a little bit of steam for me in the last like 20, 30 minutes when it it kind it kind of pulls away from Carrie's perspective. We get a lot more Ed Harris. Uh, yes, Academy like Award nominee Ed Harris. Sure, and like he's really good in it. But I think the I think the movie is the movie kind of peaks for me when he like figures out what's going on and is like frantically oh, manically God. trying to escape and just can't. Yeah. Uh, and I, you, I, I remember I just, thinking, yeah, go ahead. watching it that like, this is, this is, this is thrilling. This is the end of the movie. Like the whole thing is just him trying to, trying to get out of here until he does. Uh, and then I had to pause it for some reason to step away. And it was only like 45 minutes in. And I thought to myself, oh. <laughs> I But like how good I mean the visual style of the film, like the fucking rain pouring on him on the beach. Yeah. And then I, the, the the downpour, the 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 ways that they um stop him from leaving, like the big fire, the toxin thing. Laura Linney is phenomenal in it. Like her, her, her panicking and shit, like Sherman, we shouldn't be doing this and like saying help and I mean the the guy who's in everything who plays his friend is great you know like him running with the beer yeah, to just like, Noah Emmerich yeah to go catch up with him the amount of detail that they put into that to make that show seem plausible all those extras and shit like pausing and then they say like Truman's on the way then they all start what I mean it is just visual flourish of visual flourish do you like I think that it's just brilliantly written I think the ending him taking that bow at the end is just incredible. Uh, and so moving, just that that shot of the staircase and shit. I mean, it's gorgeous. Like, um, wh- what do you think of him? Be- like, do you understand why I'm so upset he wasn't nominated for an Oscar in that? I I think he's very good. I think he's a very capable, uh, you know, kind of comedic dramatic actor. Mm-hmm. Uh, with like you know this and Eternal Sunshine. Uh, I've never seen uh, the majestic, the but. <laughs> Uh, and like this role really plays a lot to like he can use a lot of his like comic sensibilities. Uh, you know, there's a 
there's a scene when like he he runs into a he runs into his friend while he's stocking the vending machines and he's like man they're following me things are freaking things oh, are going the, uh, going on the uh, clap that he does uh, oh yeah the clap but what really gets me is like they're leaving and he's like all right whatever you say buddy and he's like smiling big <laughs> yeah. but they walk out and he like turns back and gives one of those like jim carrey grimaces yeah yeah uh, and it's, just, it's a half a second that just could have been in fucking like ace ventura right i uh, i also love him but, reacting to all of her plugs her sponsorship yeah. he goes why did you just say that what did, what who did you say that to talking about who are you talking to <laughs> and she's like what do you mean it's like holding he's, it perfectly uh, yeah He's very good, but I think uh, you know having. A, I'm, I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna bring Eternal Sunshine into this. What really, what really kind of sticks here for me is that Jim Carrey, you know, not unlike uh, Will Smith, who we recently talked about for a little while, uh, is a very talented actor and just like a complete, like supernova level star. Uh, like I guess, just star. Like I, I would, I, I don't know if I'd rather watch Jim Carrey like in, in a movie, you know, a film, where he's very good, or just completely like be in like his best comedy in Liar Liar. I I just I think he does both perfectly here. I think that he he plays those exaggerated moments, and then I I think he's just so. Uh, but you so what are you picking then for quality? I think I'm. I th- I think I'm. I think I'm gonna. I think I'm gonna zig and go with liar liar because I think wow. it's. Wow. I think it it holds up incredibly well. I think wow. it's it's very funny and it's just like it's like the. It's kind of like watching you know watching Will Smith in Bad Boys Two. Okay. It's like this 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 movie this movie does not quite have the you know, the cinematic sensibilities of some of, uh, of some of its compatriots. But like, this is, this is just action star shit being done by like an all time great action star. And liar liar is just like capital C comedy shit being done by an all time great, uh, movie comedian. Um, Wow. That really threw me. Okay, so then we have a two. You have a two one. I have it tied. What are you going with? Harder road. I. I don't know. Do you think Truman Show is weird enough to make people go? Like, I don't. I, I don't think they built. They no. I don't. Well, maybe after upon watching it, I don't think that they marketed it as like the serious Jim Carrey turn necessarily. I don't know. I just, I think that it's still, you know, it's not the majestic. It's not something as weird as, um, what's another example of somebody doing something weird. Yeah. I mean, even like eternal sunshine sticking with Jim right, Carrey. Well, I mean, but that was also just a limited release. You know what I mean? But like sure. the Truman show was billed as like the next Jim Carrey. How about the number 23? <laughs> it was a wide release. <laughs> I saw that in theaters. Did you come with us to see that? Yeah, I, I mean, I, I also saw it in theaters. We definitely saw it together. We saw it at the Glen. Yeah, we saw it at the Glen. I remember. Um, no, I, I think that it was it was billed and, and marketed as the next big Jim Carrey comedy, but, but like okay. also like you know 
more sophisticated, but still like the big Jim Carrey comedy. So okay, I I don't know. I mean, I think I think I might I might still go Truman Show. I know Liar Liar is his biggest hit. Uh, I mean, so that I'm that su- could be a factor. Yeah, I'm surprised that you're doing. I I would think you'd go with Liar Liar because it was his biggest hit, and so the Truman Show coming off of it seems to have a walk in the park coming off his biggest thing. Um, but yeah, I, and that's, I don't know, even, even, even after asking the question, I can't, I just, I can't get over the picture of like people looking at the Truman show being like, Oh, Jim Carrey's doing like a movie now. It was directed by I, Peter Weir. Well, nobody knew what that meant, but I, I know, I know. I, I, weird, I don't know. I, I don't know what Peter that was Weir. because like the, um, you know the. By the way, Master and Commander is on a streaming server somewhere. Is it? Yeah, yeah. We should watch outstanding. It. Yeah, we should watch it. But um, no, the uh, the you know the poster was him like asleep on his pillow on a Times Square monitor, and it was like the whole world watching him or something was the tagline. So like they knew what it was about. It was about this guy. It was Jim Carrey as a guy who's lived his entire life on a reality TV show. Like that's what it was about. They weren't trying to hide it. I just think that when it came out and it was a little more serious and it wasn't like a laugh riot and him doing his shtick, did that hurt its grosses after release? Okay. But is 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 the category harder road to success, everything leading up to it making money so that it would include after it came out and just being a slightly more straightforward movie for him? Um, or is it uh, leading up to the release? In which case, it's coming off of his biggest success. Yeah. I mean i I think it's I think it's everything. But I think you're I think you're successfully convincing me that you know the Truman Show is not Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind. No, it's and I, I really I really don't think that it was marketed as such. Like here's the weird Jim Carrey movie. I just think it meant you know here's the next Jim Carrey movie, and it's it's an actual movie kind of a thing. Okay, I. Then my uh, yeah my vote will go liar liar then. So then, if your vote is liar liar, is there any? Ch- there's no chance of the Truman Show winning. I. Because the only thing I could do would be to tie it. Sure. Yes. In which is, case, uh, liar liar wins. That is the case. All right. So then, liar 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 liar. What is what is what was what was your vote there? Uh, it probably would have been. Uh, it's so tough because the truth, liar, liar is coming. Well, I don't know. When did the cable guy come out? 96? I... 95? The cable guy. 96. Okay. Then it's definitely liar, liar. Uh, the cable guy almost, you know, railroaded his career. Um, and so this was a big comeback for him. So yeah, I'd go with liar, liar as well. So if I went with uh, liar, liar, and then the legacy of the movie is the Truman Show for me. And then the legacy of the participants is just also the Truman Show because you know, Peter Weir became a thing and also just who in Liar Liar benefited from, you know, Tom Shadiak did Liar Liar. He also did Bruce Almighty and, you know, did Nutty Professor and I think one of the Ace Ventura movies. So it's like, I think he might have done both the Ace Venturas, so you know, whatever. I, I, th- but. I think I would, uh, I think I would vote both of those ways as well. So yeah. Liar Liar officially advances in a tiebreaker. It is taking uh, on the on the one and two seed. Mrs. Doubtfire will go up against Liar Liar to uh, represent the Mel Brooks division, uh, but they're both in the Sweet 16. How about that? Okay. All right, John Carpenter division. These are our horror films. 
uh, the remaining contenders. The one seed, The Sixth Sense, against the four seed, Scream, and the two seed, The Blair Witch Project, against the three seed, The Silence of the Lambs. Sixth Sense was released August 6th, 1999. Opening weekend, $26 million. Final gross, $293. Scream was released December 20th, 1996. Opening weekend was $6 million. Final gross of $103. Um, the uh, Sixth Sense cost $40 million. It grossed $673 worldwide. That's profit of $1,682. Scream, and I still didn't change that thing down there, but Scream uh, <laughs> cost $14 million. It grossed $173, and I'm guessing the profit was $1,123 or $236. I, I, I would think it would be uh, $1,236. Either way, The Sixth Sense takes game one. It does. Quality of movie, um, I do like The Sixth Sense, but I'm going with Scream. Uh, I agree. Do uh, oh. do a... The Sixth Sense having a bad ending. Yeah, I don't understand that still. Um, Harder Road to Success. I am going with Scream here, Noah. I know that The Sixth Sense made an ungodly amount of money. But if we are considering this post-release as far as Harder Road to Success, Scream had the benefit of, A, one of the greatest lines in history, Six cents, you mean? Yeah, one of the most. What did I say? Scream. Okay, six cents. One of the greatest. Well, the scream, uh, scream. One of the greatest lines in history, too. Um, I don't know. I was going to think of a line. I couldn't. Uh, the the six. I couldn't think of a funny line from it. Uh, the six cents had had the line. It had the the trailer in the line, and it had the twist ending. That after the release was the huge marketing buzz. I mean, my goodness, people talked about that twist ending. It's one of the all-time great. It might have been the greatest twist ending since uh, Psycho. You know yeah. what I mean? Sure. Certainly among buzziness, and so I think that that helped it. And I think Scream, uh, you know, the slasher genre was nearly dead. Right? Wes Craven wasn't a big name anymore after a series of flops. Everyone in it was on TV shows, so who knew about their prowess? On uh, you know, as far as box office goes, and also it was released over the holidays. That seems incredibly hard to make money. For a horror film. When you're spending time with the family, who's going to see a horror film? So I am giving this to Scream. I th- uh, it is compelling. And like the the word of uh, the word of mouth factor. Especially Scream especially is... Scream opening to six and then making a hundred and three. That means that sure. that means that it really had to hold on during New Year's and Christmas, which just seems yeah. really hard to do for that kind of movie. Anyway, go ahead. Though couldn't couldn't you then like make a similar argument for Scream that like it, uh, you know, it was clearly a leggy hit. And, it was, but uh, it, it, it didn't have that buzzy moment propelling it. You know what I mean? Like it didn't have the word of mouth as far. People talked about it. People liked it, but I don't think that it spread to pop culture in the word of mouth, the way that the sixth sense, I don't think it's spread to parodies and to late night monologues and to, you know, just people saying that over and over again and shit like that. Sure. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Years later, it would in fact spread to parodies, uh, <laughs> but no, not in, not in a way that would affect the immediate gross of it. No. Uh, I do. I, I think I'm going to, I think I'm going to uh, vote the sixth sense here just cause I, 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 I don't know that I think the buzziness of the moment is worth, uh, you know, an extra $190 million. 
I don't know. That that line of dialogue and that twist was everywhere. Uh, the Sixth Sense was the number two film in 1999, highest grossing horror film of all time, 64 on Metacritic, six Oscar nominations, picture, director, screenplay, supporting actress, and supporting actor. Scream had a 65 on Metacritic, also just revitalized the whole genre and filmmaker. Um, what are we given here for the legacy of the movie? I... I don't know. I mean, it's it's tough because on the one hand, I think like just critically speaking, the sixth sense is uh, would be the answer here. But with its effect on bringing back the slashers, as you said, I uh, I think they're two two pretty two pretty strong cases in two different uh, two different compartments. I think I am going to give it to Scream based on the aspect that it revived a dead genre. No pun intended for dead, but um, it brought a whole new wave of uh, slasher films and just teen horror films in general. I think I will. Uh, I think I will also do that because I think that's harder to do. All right. So then, like, I, good, good movies come out every year, right? So I have Scream winning. You have Six Sense winning. Well, yes. Uh, right? You, yeah, you've got Scream up three to two. And you have uh, six cents of three. Three to one, rather. And mm-hmm. I have... It's tied for me. Oh, you have a two-two? have only done four categories. Uh, yes. So now we go on to the, uh, the broader legacy involved. So now we're really talking about what the what these movies mean to their directors, I think, is the biggest hurdle here. You don't think Sixth Sense uh, has a a notable place on Bruce Willis's mantle? Um, no, I I do. I just think that we can counter that with the fact that I think Sydney Prescott is a icon of. I think she's a name, and I think Ghostface is as well. More so, I think Ghostface is an icon of the genre, whereas The Sixth Sense, I I don't think anybody knows Cole's name, or whatever Bruce Willis's name was. Sure. And there wasn't I, a, there wasn't a central ghost. Yeah. See, I think Ghostface is pretty uh, like it's kind of tied into the uh, the legacy of the movie, though, because he's like. Okay. Well then. Okay. Well then, I guess you're you're saying Sidney Prescott's the same thing as far as that. Well, yeah, but I mean, I yeah, it's, but like at least you could say, uh, you know, Nev Campbell uh, or Courtney Cox. I would say this is just as important. This is not okay. Let me back that up. Almost as important as Friends is to her career. She's okay. she she's she's played this character for f- going to be five movies. You know, I uh, I think I think it might be second on the list for her. Uh, but I what do you think it might be. I I just say that. What to, would be uh, second? I just say that to hedge against the fact that like I I can't recall uh, her filmography offhand. Thousand miles to Graceland. I, but no. So okay. So Scream is definitely second on Courtney Cox's list. It's but. No, it's number one on Nev's. It's number one on David Arquette's. Sorry, C Spot Run. Um, what about when he was the uh, WCW World Heavyweight Champion? Listen, we all, we all, <laughs> we've all seen Ready to Rumble in theaters, Noah. Certainly. Did you see that in theaters? No, only on video. Oh, I beat you to that too. That's a shame. You did. Oh, we all know you you were you were quicker to wrestling than me. 
Pam saw that in theaters before you. <laughs> Uh, she wouldn't remember that movie if I paid her a million dollars. Um, I, you know, for all of them, I think it's huge. And uh, and then we we're not getting into the sequels. Sorry, I was about to go Timothy Oliphant shit. But you know, Jamie sure. Kennedy, big for him. Um, Matthew Lillard, the guy whose name I'm forgetting, who plays the boyfriend. Yeah, I would, I would, I would say, generally speaking, you know. Courtney Cox and like Nev Campbell aside, mm. uh, these are these are these are all uh, you know smaller tier performers I, here. That's true. I, I but then you weigh that against Bruce Willis having a bunch of more things. Well, that's that's kind of, that's kind of, that that was kind of my question is like how how important do we think this is uh, in the in the Bruce Willis Hall of Fame? What are our options besides Die Hard? I, I Armageddon. Pulp Fiction. Uh, yeah, Pulp Fiction. I mean, Armageddon. Pulp Fiction, I think, is less for him, right? Because he's he's like the third or fourth most important character in that movie, or certainly the third or fourth most memorable thing in that movie. I think it's, you know, it's 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 Uma, it's uh, uh, Samuel and uh, John Travolta, and then maybe Bruce or maybe Harvey or maybe Ving Rhames because he's the yeah. big line. Yeah, I, I, I guess his time on Moonlighting. Uh, Moonlighting is big. Um, I'm trying to think of what he's done this past two, 20 years that's big. Why can't he? I was, he was in Moonrise Kingdom. Uh, I mean, I don't think he's had anything. Uh, All right, so then this is this is up there. Yeah, big in a this while, is up. Yeah. You know, it's big for Haley Joel. Um, sure, he's t- a, uh, a Tony Collette's only Oscar nomination. But no one thinks of this as part of Tony Collette's legacy anymore. But that no. is, she did get an Oscar nomination for this. And uh, then yeah. I, I really think this is going to come down to M Night and Wes. Yeah, so let's uh, let's hash that one out. Uh, you know, yeah. who's who's you know, it's Wes's. I don't know, second time revitalizing a, a thing or just come. It's his. I is it bigger than Nightmare for him? I, oof. I, I, I think there's a conversation, and I think it's because the sequels to this were bigger than the sequels to the the, the nightmares. Yeah, you know, I think Freddy. Is more, I think Freddy is more important to him maybe than Scream, but I think Scream is more important to him than Nightmare on Elm Street, if that makes sense. When you say you think Freddy is more important than Ghostface? No, I think I think Freddy is more important to his legacy than the Scream franchise, okay. but I think Scream is more important than the Nightmare on Elm Street franchise. You know I mean, I just think those films are forgettable. Nobody knows what the rest of them are about, but everyone knows Freddy Krueger. Yeah. I mean, I kind of, I kind of think that's enough when you're, uh, yeah. but then uh, I don't, I don't know. And then on the on the M night, on it, the M night side, like, after this, this is his first movie. After this movie, he's on the cover of Newsweek or Time yeah. that says the next Spielberg for one movie, and uh, it's easily his whoops. most. Im- well, he was for a time. It's easy, and he might still be. It's easily. We'll see how. No, hang we'll on. See, we'll see how. What's his face does? 
Uh, it was for a time in regards to the fact that he he was the marquee. It wasn't that ooh he got Mel Gibson. It was ooh it's the next M Night movie. Mel Gibson's just a little bonus. Fine. Uh, anyway. That's that that that's 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 true and uh, not nothing. But uh, M, I, M Night Shyamalan was never the next Spielberg. But uh, he and M Night might be back. You know, Split was a huge success. The Unbreak Glass really wasn't, but uh, we'll see what his... What's his next movie? Them? What is it called? Uh, no, it's called Old. Old, right. We'll see Something what Old does. With his beach. <laughs> yeah. Uh, we'll see what that does, but this is clearly number one for him. Yes. Uh, I think we maybe... Um, I, think, I think when all's said and done, M. Night's going to end up like, okay... Like he was, he was quite the joke for a while there, but I, but he's, he's, he's leveled out. Uh, yeah, he he's is. leveled out recently. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> uh, yeah I, I'm, le- I'm leaning six cents just because of how far and away it is M Knight's most important movie. Yeah, I think I think I'm also gonna go six cents. So six cents wins. Yeah, uh, another tiebreaker, but it, it beats, does. Uh... It beats Scream. Scream goes down, which is a shame. But uh, we'll see what another another one seed coming out on top. Uh, we'll see yeah. what takes on the one seed here in the uh, Sweet Sixteen Candles. The two I, seed, the Blair Witch. Go ahead. I was going to say either of these movies, I think, will uh, have a good shot at dethroning it. For, I agree. Uh, the two, the two seed, the Blair Witch Project, and the three seed, the Sounds of the Lambs. Blair Witch came out on July sixteenth, nineteen ninety nine. It had an expanded opening weekend once it came out in a bunch of theaters with twenty nine million dollars. Final gross of one hundred and forty domestically. Sounds of the Lambs released February fourteenth, nineteen ninety one. Opening weekend, $13 million. Final gross, 130 domestically. Blair Witch cost $200,000 to make. It grossed $248 million. That's a profit of $124,000. I'm so not used to saying it. It's, a, it's such a bafflingly large number. The Six Cents had a good showing. $19 million, profit of 1435 but game one goes to the Blair Witch. Um, did you rewatch uh, this? The Sounds of Lambs for this? I know you rewatched uh, the Blair Witch two weeks ago. No, I did not. Uh, I did not need to revisit the Silence of the Lambs. Uh, the, did Blair, I. the Blair Witch uh, project is uh, quite good, and I do think that you should uh, you should revisit it at some point because this October we'll, we'll this October we'll watch all of them. Super duper Halloween project. Uh, but uh, come now, the Silence of the Lambs gets the point here. Yes, it does. Uh, harder Road to Success. Okay. Uh, well, I guess Blair Witch, <laughs> right? I yeah. Mean... Yeah. <laughs> okay. All right. And then I, uh... mean, I guess the the only the only argument is like the ninety one versus ninety nine thing. But and also, just like Silence made a bunch of money, like one hundred and thirty is a lot. But whatever, sure. whatever. So one hundred and forty, whatever, it's fine. Um, yeah. And then there's just no contest here. And then uh, Legacy of the Film Blair Witch had an eighty one on Metacritic, Sounds of the Lambs eighty five. That seems low for Silence. Seven Oscar nominations, five Academy Awards. 
picture director. I think I won the big five, right? Picture director, actor, actress, screenplay. I think that's maybe right. editing. I don't know. Um, I should have those down. I don't know why I don't. So legacy of the movie itself. Noah, this is, I think this might be, this is a contest here. Yeah, this is a, this is really tough. Cause normally for me, uh, you know, I'm, I'm very big on the, uh, the success story yeah. aspect of Blair Witch and Paranormal Activity and all of those. Uh, but it's going up against a movie that is, <clears throat> I think, you know, just, I think the consensus is that Silence of the Lambs is better. I think, you know, the consensus has Blair Witch as like an all time great horror movie, but Silence of the Lambs is in that same conversation. And it's also, what is it? The only horror movie to ever win best picture. I believe so. Uh, and you know, your 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 mileage may vary on the definition of a horror movie, but it's enough of a horror movie, both for the Academy's sake and for this uh, this podcast's sake. I uh, so yeah, I think I uh, I think I regretfully lean Silence of the Lambs here. Not regretfully, but uh, slight, slightly mournfully for Blair Witch. I think I do lean Silence of the Lambs. So now we get into the other legacy yeah which is of the principal players and it's also silence of the land yeah blair, blair i mean blair witch doesn't have anything here <laughs> blair witch blair witch it doesn't does blair witch get knocked blair. out in the second round it is because silence of the lambs wow. has uh, anthony hopkins definitive role jonathan uh, demi jody foster jody foster's role. second oscar yeah uh, and yeah, is a is a big a big part of Demi's career, and uh, for all and the things just, that just Hannibal Lecter as the character. I mean, yeah, yeah, for all the things Blair Witch has going for it, the enduring legacy of its wow. uh, players isn't one of them. This is blowing my brain that Blair Witch is knocked out here. I know, but this is it's wow. incredible. It's incredibly weird how strong the top four of horror is. After yeah. two decades of it being kind of the stepchild division. Right. Uh, all four of these movies are juggernauts. Yeah. And so, like, I'm, I'm sad to see Blair Witch go. I, 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 I maintain that it's one of the greatest pieces of, like, film trivia in history. Mm-hmm. But, like, Silence of the Lambs is a, is a worthy... Wow. Uh, Victor here. I think. Okay. So the one seed, the sounds of the, le- the, the sixth sense, sorry, we'll take uh, a lot of S's here. Uh, the one seed, that's one S. The sixth sense, that's three. We'll take on the three, which sounds like an S, but it's not. Seed, that's four. The silence, five of the lambs, six. Six S's. All right. Here we go. Our final division of the episode. The Steven Spielberg division, the franchise starters. The one seed and Steven Spielberg's own Jurassic Park will take on the five seed Home Alone, and the two seed The Matrix will take on the three seed Toy Story. Jurassic Park was released June 11th, 1993. Opening weekend, $50 million. Final gross, 357. Home Alone released November 16th, 1990. Opening weekend, 17 million. Final gross, 285. Domestic. Jurassic Park cost $63 million. It grossed 912. That's profit of 1,448. Home Alone 
uh, cost eighteen million dollars. It grossed four seventy six. That's a profit of two thousand six hundred forty two. Game one goes to Home Alone. Uh, quality of movie. We're both picking uh, Jurassic Park here. That's easy. Yes, we are. We're, We're picking it quickly. Uh, harder road to success. I'm going with Home Alone here. I mean, I yep. feel like the big Spielberg blockbuster is uh, yeah, and also just I mean, Home Alone making almost three hundred million dollars. Well. Yeah, that's that's the problem. Is that Jurassic Park's uh, possible argument here is that it ascended to the uh, highest grossing movie of all time at the time. Uh, And so, you know, Spielberg or not, he's not making movies that are that successful uh, all the time. But Home Alone was like right on its heels at 285. Yeah. Uh, And like if if Home Alone had grossed 200 or less, Mm -hmm. then like maybe we'd be talking. But at 285, it's got to be Home Alone. It's got to be Home Alone. Two one lead for Home Alone. Uh, legacy of the film itself. Jurassic Park was the number one film in 1993. It became the number one film of all time. 68 on Metacritic, three Oscars. It won all three. It was nominated for. Home Alone was the number one film in 1990, the number one live action comedy in history. 63 on Metacritic and two Oscar nominations. This is close, I think, because of Home Alone's status as a Christmas classic. But I am going with Jurassic Park here. I think it is it is still endured and uh, has many set pieces that are still memorable and talked about today. It has the score behind it. Uh, the visual effects still hold up, and we're still getting the movies. So I uh, yeah I I agree on both counts. Uh, Home Alone does have a case here due to its uh, its Christmas movie status, but yeah. Jurassic Park is uh, enormously beloved. And we have uh, recent evidence of that in the uh, hyper explosion of the first Jurassic World movie. Yep. Uh, Still the enormous success of the second one and the fact that for the trilogy capping third film, we're bringing back Goldblum, Laura Dern, and Sam Neill. So yes, I also vote Jurassic Park there. All right, so we're tied 2-2, Noah. The legacy of the people in the film. Um, you know, this, you know, Home Alone's obviously huge for Macaulay Culkin, for Chris Columbus, for John Hughes. Jurassic Park is the biggest thing anyone who did it has ever done. I mean, I'm talking about the principal actors in it. Sure. And Spielberg's legacy. Uh, I think you asked me a question about this on a podcast recently. Yeah. Whether, whether Jurassic Park has a case for Spielberg's greatest movie. Uh, and I think we both agreed that it does have a case. You know, I think that if, because in, in in that greatest, yeah. we, we mean it the same way we mean greatest blockbuster. Not the best, not the biggest, but a combination right. of the two. Yeah. yeah. So in that case, I think the answer is clearly E.T. Because that became the biggest movie of all time and was critically acclaimed and beloved. And then it gets to like, you know, Raiders or this, basically. In my, I, I guess this, I guess it's Jaws. Raiders this are all fighting for two, three, but in my mind it's ET. But I think any of those four could be number one. So yes, I do think it's in the conversation. Yeah. I the tough thing about Jurassic Park being the biggest thing any of its uh principal actors have ever done is that they're just it's it's like kind of a bunch of character actors. Like I mean Jeff Goldblum aside, we talked about his brief uh, his brief run as a movie superstar. But like Sam Neill, Laura Dern, the bald lawyer. Uh, I hate the bald lawyer. Yeah, he gets eaten in the toilet. What about Richard uh, Edinburgh? Edinburgh. What's his name? Why can't I think of his name? 
Attenborough. Yeah. Yeah. Famous director. How big yeah. is it as far as his legacy goes? Because he's a huge. He directed Gandhi. I. Do you know that? I I did not know that he directed Gandhi, but I did know that he was uh, like a prominent filmmaker. I mean, he uh, he directed. Um. Gandhi, Cry Freedom, Chaplin, which isn't very good. Uh, and then I bet I think a bunch of documentaries, right? Or am I crazy? I who's the guy who does all the documentaries for them? I I believe you're thinking of uh, uh, David Attenborough. Yeah, is that his yeah. brother? Uh, probably. What a family! <laughs> I know, right? It is his brother. Uh, wow. Yeah, I mean, I'm just like he's not a. Uh, yeah, we're not talking like a, a big movie star here with him either. But I, 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 I'm, I'm giving it to Jurassic Park. I think that you can't deny the Spielberg factor here, that it was his second movie to become the highest grossing film of all time and, uh, and just his last great... And by great, I mean big and quality blockbuster. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like this is the biggest, the last biggest film he'll do. And so I, th- I, th- I think it's, I, th- I think it's him. Yeah, I, th- I agree. I think any movie in the conversation for Spielberg's greatest movie is, yeah, uh, yeah that's that's a deciding factor. And there, there it is. The another one seed continuing on. Have we lost a one seed? I don't think so. I don't believe we have. No, we have not. Still, all the one seeds have uh, kept up. So let's see what Jurassic Park's going to take in the Sweet Sixteen Candles. The two seed, The Matrix, or the three seed, Toy Story. The Matrix was released March thirty first, nineteen ninety nine, opening a weekend at twenty seven million dollars. It opened on the Wednesday before, so it had a thirty seven million five day. And a final gross of 171. Toy Story was released November 22nd, 1995. Opening weekend 29. It was Thanksgiving, so it had a 39 million five day. And a final gross of 191. The Matrix cost 63 million dollars to make. It grossed 463. That's a profit of 735. Toy Story cost 30 million dollars to make. It grossed 244. Profit of 815. Game one goes to Toy Story in what could be a very deciding game. I agree. I think all I think all of these conversations are going to be very close. <laughs> Did you rewatch either of these? No, I've uh, seen because you weren't sure, so you just settled on it in retrospect. Yeah, I've I've seen both of them recently enough. <clears throat> the my not being sure was just because they're very different movies, and I think both kind of like. Well, because like you also, I think good. that you, I think that you wanted to pick one of them but you felt you should pick the other. That's how I think you feel. What are you picking for quality? Of it's, I, st- I still don't really know because like, I, I, I guess, I guess I, I guess I think you're right. Like in a, in a vacuum, if you, if you were to ask me like, do you want to watch the matrix or do you want to watch toy story right now? I'm probably picking the matrix. I think uh, you are as well. Almost every time. I, but I think the first Toy Story, uh, absent an extra rewatch of the franchise by me, I think the first Toy Story is the best one. I think it's what? got a. Uh, I, I think I think just the sort of uh, the early Pixar edge, uh, like it's just it's a little it's a little rough. It's a little 
like it's a little weird. Sid's very strange. The bedroom toy monsters are very strange. Like yeah. Woody, Woody's I'm really like Mrs. Nesbit. Yeah, Woody's just like really like a surprise, surprising dick in the movie in a way that like I don't think my they... least favorite kind of dick. <laughs> I think everyone's frankly. I think that'd be a runaway number one for worst kind of dick. Uh, but like, I just, I don't think, I don't think a major Pixar protagonist would, would be as unpleasant as Woody is Yeah. Uh, today. It also has one of your favorite jokes in all of cinema. Yeah, it has a number of them. Is it? No, what, <laughs> what's the, what's the, howdy, howdy, that's howdy. What exactly yeah. what I'm thinking. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's incredible, and it it plays directly to Woody being such a dick that this stupid sharks are making fun of him. And they're like, "Yeah, fuck that guy." What are some of your other jokes in that that you think are some of your favorite in the history of cinema? Oh, I don't know. It's just a very funny movie. Okay. I, <laughs> I like the uh, the uh, the Slinky where he tells Slinky, and then he goes, "No, act happy." And Slinky goes, "Yeah." And he walks away. He goes, "Act happy." And Slinky just goes, "Ah!" And he's walking. Yeah. Away. yeah. That's really good. And then, uh, of course, the Buzz Lightyear where he goes, um, he says, Buzz says to him under the car, because we have the fate of the entire galaxy is in, in jeopardy. Where he just goes, what? <laughs> it's just, that fucking Tom Hanks voice is just golden. Yeah. I, I'm i going to vote Toy Story here. Me too. Yeah, Harder I, Road I, to... I had already marked your point down. Okay. Got it. Thank you. Harder Road to Success. So is it like the weird, but you know, generic as far as like the trailers went right. Um, and buzzy action film, or is it the experimental, um, uh, uh, animated film coming from Disney in the heat heart of Disney's reign, but in a different style that seems to go against their formula. You know what I mean? Like that idea of like, it's from Disney. It would be like if Pixar in 2010 released a hand-drawn, film i think uh your framing of the matrix as generic and toy story as experimental what is an interesting <laughs> one <laughs> i don't think i use i don't think i use experimental did, did i use when i went the toy story experimental oh well yes just now what i mean is that the trailers for the matrix weren't like you know it's trippy i'm sure they were but they were also like look we shoot a bunch of stuff you know what I mean? it sure. wasn't it wasn't saying like it was pitching it as a big action movie, which isn't the hardest thing to sell, but um, I think I am going to give it to the matrix though. I agree. And I yeah. just, just, just to clarify, uh, I think, yeah. Pixar was not yet like a part of Disney, but Disney always like distributed their movies. They right, were always it was, it was coming. It was coming from Disney. Disney had its okay. name on it. It said okay. Walt Disney pictures presents in the trailer and on the poster. So because then, uh, they, they did present it, you know, it wasn't, right. it wasn't a Disney production, but it was a Disney movie. The reason I'm right. giving so it to the matrix is simply Tom Hanks and Tim Allen. I think, I think I, I think I agree. And that was a, that was a pretty strong factor for me. Is the, I mean, uh, Tim Allen in the middle of home improvement, Tom Hanks, after back to back best acting trophies, yeah, yeah. Tom Hanks in 1995. Yeah, uh, yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna go the Matrix as well. But again, you know, it's close. I think these I think these have all been close. Out of curiosity, how close was the quality conversation for you? Not very. 
No. Okay. No. That's fine. I love the Matrix, but no, 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 no. no. Okay. Um, Legacy of the movie: The Matrix has a seventy-three on Metacritic, uh, four Oscars. Toy Story has was the number one film of nineteen ninety-five, ninety-five on Metacritic, four Oscar nominations, including original screenplay, and they gave it a special achievement Oscar. Uh, this to me is hand, also Toy Story. It revolutionized the game, and. Uh, changed animation forever i think i think that's probably true it's not it's not nearly as hands down of an answer for me sure because uh, both both of these movies are like sort of just beloved tent poles of their genre uh the the matrix is still uh, is still looked on uh in terms of action movies, uh, just as Toy Story is in terms of animation. They both uh, went on to spawn successful franchises that still exist today mm. uh, in one form or another. I presume Toy Story will continue. Uh, and uh, The Matrix 4 is coming... This year. Yeah. Uh, but I do, I do think the... Uh, you know, like it's, it's tough considering like, pick, do you consider Pixar as part of Toy Story's legacy or a part of the broader legacy? I think I kind of consider it part of Toy Story's legacy. Uh, and that will be the defining answer uh, for me. So Toy so, Story gets the vote and the win. Okay. That's, that's the game. All right. That is. Uh, so let's recap uh, what's happening in two weeks on the Sweet 16 Candles. The one seed Titanic takes on the three seed Pulp Fiction. The one seed, okay. The one seed Mrs. Doubtfire takes on the three seed Liar Liar. The one seed The Sixth Sense takes on the four seed Sons of the Lambs. And the one seed Jurassic Park takes on the four seed. No, sorry, the three seed. Uh, wait, hang on. Yes. So yeah. Sons of the Lambs was the three seed also. Some of these are all three one and threes. These were all. These were all the six cents. Uh, the yeah. one seed against the three seed sounds of the lambs, and the one seed. You know, what? oh my god, no, I'm a mess. That was correct. Oh, I'm sorry. Liar, liar was the two seed. I'm really sorry. I have, I have them ranked wrong. Liar, liar was the two seed, and uh, uh, Jurassic Park takes on Toy Story. So we have uh, uh, those are all fighting for their division titles. They're playing for a championship, not the title of the working title. But to represent their divisions as we sure. branch out out of the genre, so it's happening in, some, in two uh, weeks. Very in exciting. some sports, the division title very important, and that's part of the Sweet Sixteen where we will still. Yeah, okay, that's just going to be us still. Correct. Okay, yep. great. That's uh, it's very exciting. That'll be in two weeks. All right. Uh, shockingly enough, everybody, I have some box office news. I'm I'm very excited for it, Noah. You, I understand that we're not having you read the top five, but would you like to read uh, what Kong, Godzilla vs. Kong did this weekend? I would be happy to. Uh, I'm checking Mojo and seeing if they're fucking assholes. And nope, to they be. are. Well, they are, yes. Uh, so maybe just go to the numbers because I really can't imagine why they're thing is so goddamn incorrect i uh, all yes. right so yes the numbers is better uh, so kong, kong uh godzilla vs kong opened on 
Wednesday in theaters, the widest release of any um, movie since the pandemic started. So uh, uh, what happened over its three day and then the five day? Uh, so over the three day, it grossed thirty two point two million dollars this weekend, uh, bringing it up to a five day total of forty eight and a half million dollars. How does that sit with you? What do you think about that? Before I read I, all of my notes, I think that's very exciting. Uh, it's still, you know, still not the number they would have been looking for uh, in the before times, but. It's like a real number. You know, we were talking a bit uh, off mic. This isn't this isn't one of those situations where you're like, wow, they, they the crudes made 15 million. I don't know what the crudes made. I'm just saying like, yeah, all, all of those things were wildly adjusted to pandemic terms. Yes. Uh, whereas this, I think you can just look at as like, that's that's a lot of money. That is a that is a success. Uh, very, it's very cool. Godzilla versus Kong. Whoever wins, we also win. Hey. Uh, it's the biggest opening weekend since Onward's $39 million opening weekend 13 months ago. Basically, since it's also crushing it overseas, including in China, we're going to have over $300 million worldwide very soon, if not already. There's a chance at $500 million worldwide, Noah, and at least $100 million plus domestically. Well, it might cross 100 million plus. We have to see what happens next week. We're in uncharted territories. But this is impressive considering most of Canadian theaters are still closed. Not all American theaters are open. Seating capacity is still limited. Most theaters, during the week at least, Noah, are still only open in the evenings. Mm -hmm. The last movie in the MonsterVerse bombed, and the film is available for free on HBO Max. Warner Brothers tried and failed to reopen the box office in August with Tenant, but it was too early and it wasn't the right movie. Now it's spring. It's been a year since we've had real moviegoers in movie theaters. People are getting vaccinated. And this was the big, dumb, fun, all audiences blockbuster that worked like a charm. Warner Brothers earned some criticism with theater owners and theater goers when they announced late last year that their entire 2021 slate would be released in theaters and on HBO Max for 30 days simultaneously. But this, and to a lesser but still impressive extent, Tom and Jerry, which did pretty well last month, or in February, show that perhaps this is a viable option for the near future. It didn't work with Wonder Woman 1984, probably due to the winter aspect, but say lovey. Seeing huge numbers like this is exhilarating as someone who has followed the box office for 20 years. It emphasizes what most of us have been screaming about for the past year. Of course, theatrical movie going isn't dead. This is very exciting, but I do still have some reservations. For one, this gives credibility to the day and date streaming plan, possibly encouraging other studios to release their films on streaming platforms and in theaters at the same time. This is going to drive down grosses and possibly subjugate smaller films to online only. It's true that during the past year, I wanted to see Soul and Wonder Woman 1984 on the big screen, but I also desperately wanted to see Minari, Sound of Metal, and Mank in theaters. The lesson to be learned from this huge and encouraging accomplishment is that people want to go to the movies again. Chances are that... Chances are... uh, Godzilla vs. Kong that if Godzilla vs. Kong wasn't on HBO Max, the gross would have been even higher. This might be the way things are for a little while. Next year and beyond. Sorry. But next year and beyond. Pixar movies. 
because again, Luca is only going to be on Disney plus, even though it's going to be in June, but next year and beyond Pixar movies, indie darlings and mid-level comedies deserve their place on the big screen. And if this weekend is any indication, people will be clamoring for them. But for now, let's focus on the positive. A big blockbuster made big money in movie theaters. That makes me very happy. I think we're uh, I think we're still going to end up in a place ultimately. And we talked about this a bit when we were talking about Titanic. Uh, I think the the biggest of the big movies are still going to be out in theaters. Like I, you know, Luca Luca's showing up on Disney Plus, uh, but like when they make Toy Story five. There's no way they're not giving that like a full and proper theatrical release because there's just so much more money on the table there. When they make, uh, you know, the next Avengers movie. I know, uh, but I just don't want it to always be those movies. No, I I, I agree, and I I am I am also a little concerned about the uh, the the Minaris of the world going forward. Uh, but I. This may just be me being naive. I'm confident they will still be available in theaters in some capacity. Yeah. And so maybe maybe we can get the best of both worlds, where on the one hand, like we'll still be able to see uh, Minari in theaters, see Nomadland in theaters uh, in the way we'd prefer. But also, like maybe more people will end up seeing them overall uh, because they're more accessible to them. They're right in front of their face. You know, uh, I, I didn't want to mention this when we were talking about Titanic because I knew I was going to bring it up, you know, kind of now, and it's just a longer conversation. But the movies might never grow six hundred million or a billion again is basically because of these plans: these keep movies in theaters for four weeks and then dump them. Now it's true that most blockbusters, especially nowadays, they're not as leggy as they were in the '90s or even in the early 2000s. They make about seventy to eighty percent of what they're going to make in the first four weeks, but if it's also playing on HBO max or on Disney plus that's going to drive them down even further. So they're not even going to have a chance to make the full 80 to 70% of what they would make. So you're cutting it down even more. You're cutting them even more at the legs. You know, I Godzilla versus Kong would have made, it would have made more if it wasn't on HBO max. It just would have. Yeah. And so that aspect of it and the fact that, a lot of studios have a streaming deal where they can pull their movies after 21 days. If they're not making the money that they, they, they would have or whatever um, is going to hurt movies. And we could get to a scenario where we don't see movies make a billion dollars anymore. And that scares me. And that's strange. And, and I think that's a really real scenario. So while at the same time I applaud Warner brothers for this success, I do worry that this is giving credibility to their plan where they don't release, you know, the little things in theaters or they do. And it just doesn't make money, which hint, you know, if, if because these numbers aren't released publicly, the VODs numbers, really video on demand, we don't know how much of a success they were. So it could hinder the possibility of somebody making another Minari or another promising young woman, because we don't know how successful they've been. And so there's no real tangible example to point to another studio being like, well, I would make another one of these, but that one wasn't released in theater. So I guess it must not have been made a lot and, and, and stuff like that. So it was a lot of factors here, but at the same time, we had an over $30 million opening weekend. 
and uh, a movie that could be cruising to half a million a year after this pandemic shut down theaters. That's pretty remarkable. And uh, it's very exciting. And so I, I hope that we just keep this track and I hope that Warner Brothers keeps to their promise that that was a one year thing. This, this is a one year deal. And that next year when everyone is vaccinated and you better get vaccinated, um, that uh, we'll, we'll, we'll go back to the way things were maybe shorter windows. I'm fine with short. I'm fine with movies being, being able to be pulled after f- uh, four weeks. Relatively. I'm relatively okay with that. As long as they have the full potential to make the amount of money that they make back then. If they're on streaming, they do not have that kind of potential to make their money. And so it's a give and take, but right now, Right now, we're positive. I just don't want, you know, a whole bunch of swell of love going to Warner Brothers for like you guys did it. Your plan worked. Um, it worked for now, and and I, th- I think that th- this is this is wonderful news overall. People do have short attention spans these days, but I don't think we're quite in danger of that just yet. <laughs> I don't know. The Twitter I follow has been very like, "Hey, congrats, everybody! This is crazy." But it is it is good news, and as I've been saying since the beginning, and and even casual family and friends have asked me like, what do you think will happen? This will happen. You know, I, I, I remember when this started, I equated it to like the roaring twenties, the, the, sorry, the, um, um, not the roaring twenties, but like a- after recessions, people just wanting to spend and do things. Right. Yeah, sure. And I think that that same thing will happen after this. People will be craving other events and craving going out to places you know, there is a whole bunch of, of options on more options than ever on television, but people are tired of looking at their TVs. And so I think that, that, that we might see a huge boom in box office attendance and grosses if given the opportunity. That's all I'm saying. But this this is wonderful. So there you go. It is. All right. Um, we don't have like a, a, a our, our Shrek Forever After sponsor dropped us once we got a real sponsor. So uh, we're just going to play the game. Yeah, for free. Uh, which means, of course, it's time to play everybody's latest favorite game. Did, Did it, it make more or less than Shrek Forever After's opening weekend? I even did the question for you. Thank you. Yeah. We all know how to play. I'll name a movie, and you tell me whether its total gross was more or less than Shrek Forever After's opening weekend. For a bonus point, you can choose to either name the movie's director or an unspecified number of cast members chosen by me. Are you ready to play? I am. I'm still gathering where I think the weekend is, but now today's game, I'm betting it's in the high 60s. In the high 60s we're looking at today. So go ahead. Uh, all right. Also, uh, I've decided uh, there's been a little uh, a little question as to whether or not if you're guessing cast members, uh, you get to get one wrong or not. Uh-huh. Uh, so here's where we're going to set the rule for now. If I think it's a five or more cast member kind of movie, you get one miss. Okay. If it's four or fewer, you got to run the table. Got it. And we'll see how that goes. Your first film is Instant Family. You may recall Instant Family from. Uh, I know exactly. About, I know. I know Ford. everything about. Yeah, I know Instant Family. Yeah, yeah. Uh, pretty good. What I, what it's terrific. It was we mentioned it on several of our B, on the B sides that year. Um, I think it, I think it was almost up for your Anna Karenina. Oh, certainly in consideration. All right, so I'm going to say less. 
That is correct. Okay, my theory is still working out. Um, and then I don't know who directed it. I'm going to go with cast because I really can't think of who directed it. All right. I would like five cast members from Instant Family, <sighs> which means that you do have uh, one miss in the bank. Okay, I think I got him. Isabella Monair. Monair? Is that how she pronounces her name? Uh, actually, her uh, she now goes by Isabella Merced. Okay, but, but that at yes, once that was is, yes, that name. is, and I believe it was Monair at the time. Okay, that great. is her name. Is great... Isabella Merced is a a stage name in honor of her grandmother. That's she's a great young actress. Uh, Tig Notaro, Octavia Spencer, Rose Byrne, Mark Wahlberg. Nailed it. Yeah, baby. Didn't Ooh. even go for Joan Cusack. I forgot. Oh, right, she's at the end. God, she's great in the fucking movie. Holy shit! What a funny thing at the, the end. A nice, a nice little five minute roll at the she's, very end. She's outstanding in that. She's so funny. Okay, who directed it? Uh, it was directed by a gentleman named Sean Anders. I, you know what? I was gonna say I should have just said it before you said that. I was gonna say Sean Anders. He did the Daddy's Homes, I believe. Oh, okay. That's where he knows Wahlberg, and he's also done a bunch of broadcast. I think he may have done the Horrible Bosses. Um. Sean, I was gonna say Sean Anders. I should have done it because it would have looked. Well, cool. you got it. You got it right. No, anyway. I know, but it would have looked cool. That's all. Uh, uh, Sean he, Anders is responsible for "That's My Boy." Terrible. Uh, the Daddy's Homes. Not uh, horrible. Bosses Two. Right, which isn't not isn't, the first one is great. That one's okay. And I think Sex Drive is better yes. than people thought it was. Yeah. Oh, I was. Ooh, just he produced Sex Drive. I know he produced Countdown. Remember Countdown. Nope. Yeah, you do. Wait, do you really yeah. not? Yes, oh, there's an app, app. Death. There's yes, an app for that. Of course. Of course. Yes. Yeah. Incredible. Okay. All right. Go ahead. What's next? Film. The Maze Runner: colon, The Scorch Trials. Less. That made more than Shrek. Oh, for well, you're getting. You're getting very specific then, because I think that's close. Uh, well, okay. Gonna be close. All right. If I get the director's first name, can I do? Because okay, I think I got the director, Wes Bull. I I'm gonna give that to you. His name is Wes Ball. Okay, but that's fine. Yeah, uh, I wouldn't have been able to get many of their names. Like I know no, Dylan O'Brien. I know Kayla something. Yeah, Don't the ma- the Maze Runner is full of people whose like faces I know. But <laughs> exactly, yeah, uh, yeah. yeah. We had Dylan O'Brien, uh, Kaya Scodelario, yeah, uh, Thomas Brody Sangster is uh, the young uh, the young gentleman from Game of Thrones. Okay, uh, it does feature uh, Giancarlo Esposito, uh, Aiden Gillen, uh, Natalie Emanuel, Barry Pepper, Alan Tudyk. Who's the woman? Is she not in it anymore? What's her name? Uh, it's not, not Kara oh, Sedgwick. Oh, Patricia Clarkson. That's also yeah. there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's good. Right. Uh, but yeah, it's all the all the kids. Like I'm like, oh yeah, I know who that is. But yeah, you recognize all their faces, and then yeah. that's it. Yeah. Uh, your final film, uh, Crazy Stupid Love. More. Correct. That made more. <sighs> because it's a, ch- I know their names, but I will never get their last names. Okay. Glenn and. Some Car- Carlos, uh, I don't know what. What are the director's names? Glenn something something. something. Are, you, are you going for the cast? I'm going to do the cast because I I think right. the cast will be more fun. So I'm going to do that. Sure. Yeah. I 
It, there are two directors, Glenn Ficarra and John Requa. John, yeah, they did Focus as well. That's why I know they are. Oh, okay, cool. Yeah, yeah. All right, uh, uh, how many? <laughs> I would like uh, six cast members, uh, which means you do have one wrong answer in the bank. Uh, the thing about this movie, uh, I was surprised to find, is that outside of, you know, the principal four, uh, not not a ton of uh, recognizable uh, supporting players showing up. Holy shit! I only have five in my in my hand. Steve Carell, Emma Stone, Ryan Gosling, Marissa Tomei, Kevin Bacon. All correct. I don't know if I have the sixth one. Why do you think? Why do you think there's six that are memorable? Uh, well, I'm uh, now going to look up who this person is in the film. It's been a while since I've seen it, but uh, Lauren Lapkus does not play the babysitter. Okay, that was she not... looks like her, but she doesn't. It's not what I was reaching for. I, I would recognize. I recognize the babysitter, and I I know the face of uh, Emma Stone's friend. Oh, uh, oh, sorry, Julianne Moore. Sorry, sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah you're you're missing I, his wife. <laughs> yeah, I was conflating Marissa Tomei with his wife, but I realized that, that Marissa Tomei is just the fling. Yeah, okay, I got you. Right. All right, there you go, Julianne Moore. Uh, we also could have gotten uh, John Carroll Lynch, uh, mutis, the musician Josh Groban. Oh, yeah, he plays uh, Emma Stone's boyfriend. And uh, Joey King. Who plays the daughter of some? Probably Steve Carell. Yeah, yeah, she's one of Steve Carell's children. Yeah. Molly Weaver. I have the movie right over there. Um, all right, great. I know it's a uh, it's a, a low key favorite of yours. It is, and I should watch it again because I know that someone who really hates it. So. So that was a uh, that was a five point uh, a five point week. Well done. Great, thank you. All right, come and gone from a theater near you, Noah. Please take us back in time. All right, this one I think could be fun. Uh, we're going to go a little farther back than normal. This is 2005. We're talking week 14 here. Oh, boy. What are the date? What is the date? Uh, April 10th. April 8th through April 10th. Sin me. City? Uh, no, that was the second weekend for Sin City. Robots? No, that was the fifth weekend for Robots. Fuck. Kill Bill, are, Volume Two. Two films here. Uh, Kill, Kill Bill, Bill, Volume Two does not appear on the list. Two thousand five. I did. Uh, I did choose this week because we finally returned to significant. Uh, box office news: The number one film this week is a uh, is a uh, relatively significant box office story in one way or another. Wasn't wasn't Passion of the Christ? No, no, not uh, um, not quite. Perhaps significant in a different way. I don't know. Oh, this is fucking awful. I don't know. It's my time. My this is my area too. Uh, I don't know. Give me a hint. Looking okay. for a film that, if I'm not mistaken, uh, you and I saw in theaters with my father. No, we didn't meet until that August. Oh, that's right. Okay. Well, I saw it with my dad. Uh, 
I, I'm sure you saw it in theaters. It looked uh, it looked like quite the big fun deal at the time. We're looking for sort of a, a an action adventure sort of movie. Sahara, bingo. Yeah, you you have a weird thing for Sahara. Yeah. What do you mean? I don't know. Like, you talk. You've mentioned it a lot. Sahara. Um, it's, it's just quite. It's it's surprising. It's like a, bad it's, it's like a, it's like a touchstone for you yeah it's like yeah uh, yeah I, I saw yeah. it i was like oh my god that movie really sucked <laughs> uh sahara made i don't know if it went over 20 i'm gonna say 18 exactly right 18 yeah. on the nose what's the other one hide and seek uh no we were looking for a oh, uh romantic comedy that opened at number three. Oh, mm. music and lyrics no. No. No, no. Uh, you're looking for one a common romantic comedy star, uh, and one a very successful person with what I think would be fair to call a failed movie career. Why are they successful then? They uh, went on to do something else and are still doing it. They also did something prior to this. They were they were a big deal, and then they sucked in the movies. Is it is is, is is it the male? Yes, he uh, started and went back to TV. All right, so hold on. All right, mm, fuck. He's still hey, doing TV. Yeah, someone who at least at one point you had quite a fondness for that may no, have. I'm I'm moving away. From, go ahead. May, may have won over the years i don't know i'm moving away from the guy i'm trying to think of the girl so not meg ryan not meg ryan she wasn't anything no not julie roberts not yet katherine heigl not yet a woman um not not jennifer garner jennifer lopez no 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 uh, not Cameron Diaz. No. Kate Hudson. No. Jesus Christ. Sandra Bullock. No. no. But she's a mainstay of romantic comedies. She's been in at least one other uh, very prominent one that uh, bitch. we we recently watched, I believe, for <laughs> Multiplex Madness two thousand. Whoa, Drew Barrymore. That uh, might be her. Okay, Drew Barrymore was the. That is her. All right, I got you. Drew Barrymore was the star of Romantic Comedy. Oh, Fever Pitch. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. Jimmy Fallon. Yeah, it's certainly cooled down. I used to like his uh, the games that he played on his talk show. Sure. I never liked him when he was an actor. I didn't like him when he was on SNL. But I liked I liked the games. I liked that they were weird, and he had the roots, which was great. But no, I, I don't care about him anymore. Um, it was honestly probably the Trump thing. So, Fever Pitch, yeah, they filmed it. I should have gotten No, I shouldn't have gotten that. I would never have gotten that. Uh, they filmed it that October at the World Series, and it came in third. Fairly Brothers movie. Yeah. Uh, came in third. Twelve. Another, uh, another nailed it. 12.4. Hell yeah. All right. Great. Um, so now, Noah, we have the seventh annual 
Podcademy Awards B-Sides, the categories they rejected. Explain uh, this to the folks. So we, uh, you know, many years back, we decided, that, you know, the Academy Awards are great and our coverage of them is fun. But We decided uh, that they're great. Yeah, we came together. We, t- we hashed it out. <laughs> the verdict was great. I... Uh, but you know maybe there's a there's a few more interesting <laughs> categories you know that they don't always uh, yeah. hit on. people love superlatives and we love uh, thinking about them and giving them out so we put together a list of our own that's grown and evolved and changed over the years uh and we uh give out our own little awards that's right we used to have 17 of these and uh, now we've narrowed it to 10 because obviously we're doing a lot of other we're doing a lot of other stuff um, we lost some good categories along the way, but uh, I'm, I'm happy with these. So um, I've compiled a list over the past week of our previous winners on a spreadsheet. So Noah and I are going to type in our answers and the other person will read it. So our first category, debut of the year, the best debut of the year. Now this could be uh, past. No, no, don't, don't, don't type yours in yet. I'm not, I'm not, I'm just okay, great. comparing it. So Past winners have uh, included, you know, it might not be their first movie. Uh, Timothy Chalamet was Noah's pick in 2017 for Call Me By Your Name and Lady Bird. Uh, I, I, also, I picked uh, Barry Jenkins in 2016 for Moonlight. That wasn't his first feature, but it was their f- debut to us, right? Their coming yeah, out party. Sort of a Grammys kind of debut. <laughs> That's right. Um, past winners uh, have included Daisy Ridley for me for Star Wars and uh, uh, Bo Burnham for Noah and I for 8th grade. Last year, our reigning... Title holders, um, I had Olivia Wilde for writing and directing. Oh, sorry, for directing Booksmart, and Noah had Kevin Garnett for being in Uncut Gems. Um, really this, looking forward to what both of those guys do next. <laughs> this year, Noah, um, did you have any runners up? I no, I narrowed uh, I narrowed all of these down to a single uh, a single winner. Mm, really? So you have no runners up? No. Interesting. Interesting. But I'm happy to uh, I'm happy to indulge yours because it's a frequent. Uh, well, it's always a lot of fun to talk about thing. what. I, for most of these, I only have one. I, I yeah. agree, but for some of them, I do have two. For this one, I had uh, Char- uh, Charlene Swanky from Nomadland, um, and I also had uh, uh, Sydney uh, Flanagan for Never, Rarely, Sometimes, Always. Those are my two runners up. You know, okay. it's, it's it's I wanted to say this on the outset. It's a weird year. For movies, obviously, we we saw less of them than we usually do. I think I'm at about eighty something right now. I can actually tell you exactly what I'm at. Um, right now, I've seen uh, eighty two movies from 2020. Um, you know, it would have been more than that. I also think that a big issue with watching them at home is there are just distractions, right? Oh, What's yeah. going on over really here? I need to clean. It's a completely different. So these movies aren't even registering it to, to me the same way that they used to. So it's this has been a really hard year in that regard. I know, you know, it's a tread, this whole year sucks. And for many people for more important reasons, but it's been a hard year for remembering or just experiencing movies the same way. So, um, uh, yeah, that's what I have to say about that. So no, why don't you type in your answer and then, uh, let me know when you're ready and I will go ahead and uh, read Noah's answer for best debut of the year. All right. Uh, it is in Noah's pick. For best, I'm going to highlight mine so I can just paste it on. That's exactly what I did. Yep. Noah's pick for best debut of the year is Maria Bakalova in Borat. No, why don't you take a look at the list again? You can see what I put down. 
Yeah, I mean it's. Uh, I put the, down as well Maria Bakalova in this was the, movie film. the first uh, award that I uh, that I gave out because it's just, it is I think fu- just the clearest answer. She uh, she came on in a very very difficult role for anyone to do. Uh, she had to hold her own against Borat. My yeah. God. And she and she completely did just unanimous consent. Uh, that's not the phrase. Unanimous agreement, mm-hmm. rather, uh, that she just she just crushed it and like kind of stole the movie and is a so Oscar is nominee a bright, is a bright and shining star. She uh, she has a shot at winning the Oscar for it. Um, that'd be cool. It would be very cool. Yeah, she's on my five. Uh, I I think that she's. My number one or number two right now for my personal pick for supporting actress of the year. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, she, she never acted before really. Um, and she really did steal. She was the heart of that movie. She so the reason the movie works is because of her character and her performance in it. Yes. And, uh, and so I think that it's a major testament that this movie that really all of us had so much skepticism about when it was announced, I optimism uh, in general, but just also skepticism. What could this be? How could this be good? And uh, and the reason it works is for her. That's in, that's enormous. And, and she's already booked um, a role in Judd Apatow's new movie that she's filming right now. And so she's she's on her way up. So this is certainly a worthy uh, award. Both of our pick is Maria Bakalova in Borat's subsequent movie film. All right, our next category: best character of the year, past winners. Uh, include Noah picking Juan uh, Mahershali in Moonlight, uh, Marion McPherson, the mom in Lady Bird. I picked uh, Thanos in Avengers Infinity War, and Ricky Baker in Hunt for the Wilder People in past years. La- our current holder, we actually agreed last year, uh, the current holder for this title is Howard Ratner, Adam Sandler's character in Uncut Gems. So let's see. What's I- t- did you have any? Uh, go ahead. I think there's a, a a decent chance that we uh, repeat agree here. We do not. Okay. <laughs> um, Be that as it may, I think there was a decent chance of it anyway. I'm typing. Are, are you looking at the page? Did you just see no, what I'm I did? Not. Okay, no. great. So I'm going to type in mine. Okay. So one moment. Doing the full uh, format as well. With the italicized and everything, typing out uh, the full uh, the full typing... name of Borat. Uh, in, God in no, 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 no! I listen. I I don't want to adjust these margins any more than I have to. Okay, uh, my uh, go ahead, Noah. All right, Brian's pick for best character. Ah, yes, of course we did not. I have not seen uh, either of these women, Barb or Star, in Barb and Star go to Vista Del Mar. You selected both of them to share. That's the right. Award. That's right. They're sharing the award. And I think they'd be happy to do so. You know, the, these aren't the most original characters in the sense that they're very Midwest. They're fun. They're whatever, you know, they're archetypes that we've seen plenty of places, right? I'm a big fan of Ronna Beverly. There's a bit of Beverly in these ladies, but, um, but boy, do, do any uh, Mumolo and, Chris and Wig make these characters their own. They immediately sink into them. They're immediately relatable and recognizable and they hold their own in this movie. And the movie itself revolves around their sensibilities and they are funny. I'll, 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 you know, no, I'll move away. You can go ahead and type it in while I say this. Um, Okay. They are funny and 
immediately iconic <laughs> to uh, the people who have seen them. They're a delight. They're a joy. And um, there was a, almost my pick as well for uh, the sequel category that we're doing uh, in a second. But um, I, I certainly uh, love these characters and many people do and you can't help but fall in love with them. They easily get best character or characters, I suppose. Of the it year. is, uh, yeah. as ever, a uh, movie that I am very happy exists for all of the uh, people also, like you out there that are very into it. Because I also I think it's a movie that you, at one point, when it becomes free, will probably end up seeing. It seems. Okay. It, it, I just feel like it's that kind of. It's in the culture that much that like you'd be like, yeah, everyone really loves this. Who sees it? I should probably watch it. And you might like it. Who's to say? There's music in it, Noah. Do you like music? I do like music. Okay. There's musical numbers. I'm not, I'm not a monster. You ever known anyone that didn't like music? I know of people. But um, there's uh, there's musical numbers in it. I think you'd like it a lot. All right. I'm excited for yours. You thought we'd have the same one. so It's, uh, it's, in, really the, it's in the dock. I really don't know what this could be. But uh, let's see. Noah's pick for best character of the year. Paul into Five Bloods. That's a really good answer. I don't know why I didn't even think of him, but that's a great. Yeah, Delroy Lindo's character into Five Bloods. Yes, uh, Delroy Lindo uh, completely robbed at the Oscars. Uh, I'll mention this is theoretically part of our Oscars coverage. Uh, gave one of the uh, one of the absolute best performances of the year in a incredible, uh, incredibly like conflicted and uh, multifaceted character. That was uh, fascinating, absolutely fascinating to watch from beginning to end. Uh, and at the time was just a complete consensus. Like this is a, a total, a total powerhouse uh, character and performance from an actor. One of those actors that's always good in things, but never quite get the rec- gets the recognition that they probably deserve. Yes. Uh, and it's a shame that that continues because he was, he was truly incredible with some uh, just really a plus material there. Hundred percent right. Uh, he gets still, in my opinion, the uh, performance of the year. I think. Pretty sure I think that. I have to check my list, but certainly should have been nominated and probably won best actor this year. So terrific choice. Um, it's on Netflix. You all should watch it. All right, our next category: most deserving of a sequel. It won't get to so the film that. Um, either wasn't successful enough or was the end of its run that we feel should have gotten a sequel. For instance, uh, I have planet of the apes after war for the planet of the apes came out. I'd like to have seen a story in that universe continue, even though it was the concluding chapter very fittingly. And uh, Noah put Thor Ragnarok thinking that uh, Taika wouldn't be able to do to Thor what he did in uh, Ragnarok, but it turns out he will. Um, not always right. But I, for instance, my first award went to John wick. Yeah, that has four and five are going to happen. Incredible. Can I ask you a uh, question Hmm. about your second award? Why Fantastic Four? Oh, the reason I gave was that uh, the cast is so good, and the and Uh, there there are moments of good movie in there until the ending, like this idea of like it being a body horror film. You uh know what I mean? Sure. That uh, that I wanted them to explore, and the cast had so much potential that I was like, you really need to try again because come on, yeah. So that's why. Um, uh, the reigning holders for this title uh, for most deserving of a sequel it won't get. Noah has Booksmart and I have Happy Death Day to You really hoping for the film third film which should be called Happy Death Day Tree. Yes. Alright, uh, Noah I'm going to put mine in so if you want to scooch out of here I certainly have. 
Uh, and I'm going to throw mine in here, and I'm going to put the title of the second film, not what I think the title of the new film should be. Okay, one second. Okay, Noah, go ahead. It's locked in. All right, here I go. Brian's selection for the film that deserves a sequel but won't get it is Borat, subsequent movie film. You would like That's... a third Borat. <laughs> That's what that means, yes. Right, here, I'll, I'll move away from the thing so you can type it in. Yeah, I, I think that, um, you know, again, we all had skepticism over whether a second Borat would work, and then it turns out it did. He was able to do it. He initially, Sasha Baron Cohen had said in interviews, I can't do another Borat. Everyone knows who Borat is. And they found a way to skirt past that. And not only that aspect of it, but Borat had something new to say, something relevant to say, and he said it well, and it was hysterical and just as good as the first one. And so in that regard, of course, I want another one. I mean, we all thought they couldn't do one as good, and they did. So yeah, give me more reason why I don't think it's going to happen is because I don't think, I think that we've already done the, the only way you can do it without people knowing it's Borat, unless you go to like, you know, a foreign country where they don't really just, it wasn't a big deal, but I don't know how you get around it. I don't see a f feasible way to do it. And so I don't think it's going to happen, but boy, would I like it to, because what a surprise, uh, great movie. The second one was, yeah, my, uh, my take here is that Borat two is kind of a small miracle. Yeah, uh, lightning struck twice in a way that it really shouldn't have, and I think the odds of it working again a third time, as you say, are like really small. So I'm I'm happy with the two, but if they could, if he could find another way to do it again in ten years, maybe twenty years, maybe wait till he can be like Grandpa in the movie Grandpa or Dirty Grandpa or Bad Grandpa. I don't know which one was it. Bad. I, w I wonder if what they should do is make a movie revolving her because not everyone would know what she looks like immediately that's true i don't know all right i'm ready for yours noah's i'm, I'm in the dock you're still in the dock you're still doing no it. no it's oh it's in. it's right. locked I'm ready in to go. yeah noah's most deserving of a sequel it won't get is tenant wow now listen uh it's might no secret right here about tenant later uh no secret that I liked Tenet, uh, I think, ultimately significantly more than you did. Yeah. Uh, but I think uh, it was a it was a very successful action movie for me. But the the greatest success of it, and the reason uh, I liked it so much, and think that I would enjoy seeing more, was the uh, the vibes of its two leads. I think John David Washington and Robert Pattinson had a, a very strong chemistry. I think both of them were very good individually and they worked great together as buddies. The sort of crossing timelines thing, uh, I think is just like is ripe for uh, potential future stories. And if we could, if I could get another movie in a few years of those guys solving time crime with a, uh, three or four just outstandingly memorable action sequences in it, I'd be a very happy man. But I think uh, for any number of reasons, uh, it's not likely to happen. I, I, I'm inclined to agree. I think it's headed to, if they could give us two or th uh, three or four, well, how did you describe it? Memorably? I what did you describe the action? I, scenes I think as? I just said memorable action scenes. Mm, I think you said another adjective. Okay. 
uh, but memorably great, perhaps something like that. If they could do three or four of those in the sequel, I mean, that would be great. It'd be three or four more than they had in the first one. But you know, very um, wrong. Your quick little jab there. <laughs> what what was memorable? Which which action scene would be amazingly memorable in that first one? I I'm very fond of the highway heist and then subsequent reverse highway heist. The uh, crashing of the giant airplane into the building. Uh, I don't know. Was super right. cool. Uh, um, I you know I, I re- we don't I, we don't have to relitigate uh, whether or not Tenet was good, but I right. want more I uh, I, I rewatched Dunkirk this weekend. Uh huh. It's incredible. It is. It's, I think it's it's his best movie. It's it's incredible. I agree. It's terrific. Um, remember, remember remember when we saw that in we drove to Indianapolis. Of course I of course I did in Super IMAX, but specifically the woman in, sitting next to me who, as the movie was about to start, turns like her grandson and goes, "Does is, does it have to be so loud?" Yeah, we were watching <laughs> like the like, oh, man. the ads or whatever. Yeah. And uh, yeah, we Noah and I drove from 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 Illinois, from Chicago, to Indiana State University to go to their like museum there that was playing it in IMAX seventy millimeter. Yes, and that was and uh, it was, worth it. I would it do was, it again. It was it was like it was like five hours in a car or something like that, and uh, it was so worth it. It was incredible. Um, yeah. All right, our next category: best movie not nominated for anything. Now, Noah, what do you take as not nominated? Is it just the Oscars? I, I think it's also like Golden Globes or something, or what? Yeah, my my consideration here is uh, Oscars, Globes, and like the major guilds. Okay, uh, I'm like for instance, I'm pretty sure my pick was nominated for an Independent Spirit Award, but I decided that was below the line. Yes, mine as well, and the same thing. I think last year we included the Spirit Awards, but I'm not going to this year because there's just less to choose from. Yeah. So um, I'm going to put uh, – uh, why don't you put yours in first? Okay. And I will say yours. I am I am curious if uh, if this is a another potential matchup here. Uh, no. Damn. All right. Uh <laughs> Well, I am uh, present in the doc. I am formatting a program. Noah's best movie that is not nominated for anything is The Invisible Man. It's a great choice. Yes. Also got some People's Choice Awards for Elizabeth Moss, I believe. Should, should have been nominated and at least sound and possibly score and actress. But yeah, yeah. that's a great choice. Go ahead. Why Why? why I, The Invisible Man? Uh, just because it's uh, it's incredibly good. It's a very very. And successful... While you say this, I'm going to put mine on the list. I have, uh, I have left the dock. Okay, it's great. a very successful uh, sort of modernized take on a uh, a classic horror story. Uh, Elizabeth Moss is just always incredible, uh, and you know, I'm not to, not to say that she would have deserved it over any of the other nominees, but just it's a in a vacuum worthy of consideration for an acting role. Uh, and also there's that one scene with the knife, which was uh, one of the more shocking and memorable things uh, I've seen recently. It's a, it's a great movie and what an experience to have uh, one of the last few movies to see in a, with a crowd. Uh, it was a good choice. So that's great. Uh, mine is in there as well. Go ahead and read it. All right. Uh, for best movie, not nominated for anything. Uh, Brian selects. 
Never, rarely, sometimes, always. That's right. My number one film of the year for a very long time, um, Never, Rarely, Sometimes, Always, is a quiet, intimate, um, truly heartbreaking uh, portrayal of a young girl who lives, I think she lives in suburban Pennsylvania, but she goes to New York to get an abortion. And uh, just uh, the movie takes place roughly over the just the 24 hours or 48 hours she spends there. Um, incredibly t- um, timid and, and, and necessary filmmaking. I mean, just just a beautiful portrayal. And uh, uh, the performances are terrific and natural. The filmmaking is very subtle and almost hanging back in the shadows. And there's one spectacular sequence where she's filling out a form. Um, one of the best movies of the year and should have been nominated for several Oscars, but isn't. I am uh, very eager to visit this one before we finalize our top tens in a few weeks. Yeah. Because I think it will uh, definitely be a contender for me. I think you should know our favorite award. It certainly is. The Anna Karenina Award. No, why do we have an award called the Anna Karenina Award? That's weird. Well, because we watched, uh, was it Joe Wright? It's Joe Wright. It's Joe Wright, yeah. Uh, you, you can go ahead and throw yours on while you're saying this. Yeah, we watched Joe Wright's Anna Karenina, uh, probably nominated for Best Costumes or Production Design. Like or four of them. Yeah, I think Cinematography, maybe Score, and Production Design, probably Costume, yeah. And so, yeah, in our, uh, in our yearly quest to see all the Oscar-nominated movies, we watched uh, Anna Karenina thinking... This is just going to be one of those, uh, you know, bullshit period pieces that like just neither of us really have time for. It's not really suited to either of our tastes. Uh, blew us away. Blew us away. It was just inventive I and was exciting. Here, and then and, I was over there. And just just incredible. I should really rewatch this. I haven't seen it since. I, I was thinking that every time we've explained it on the podcast, I was thinking, boy, we should rewatch it. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, every year we try to uh, honor the movie that was uh, way better than we expected to be. Way better than it had our any expectations or our than fears. It had any right to be. This is our favorite award to give out. Noah, your Anna Karenina Award goes to. Oh, by the way, before Kino, can you just delete it real quick? Yeah. Uh, let, let me know. Go ahead. Yes. Previous winners, I just want to say, of this award, uh, I've, we both have, we both gave it to Wonder Woman in two, 2017 because DC doesn't make good movies. Noah no, gave don't. it. They still don't. <laughs> That's right. Noah gave it to Blockers. I've given it to The Edge of Seventeen. Um, are the previous winners are uh, Blinded by the Light from me and Waves for Noah? Noah, go ahead, pop it in there. It's back. Noah's Anna Karenina Award goes to. Palm Springs. Now, here's the thing about Palm Springs. Uh, Are you out of the document? I am out of the document. Okay, great. I think that this is really just because it was a Hulu movie. Mm -hmm. Uh, If Palm Springs had been coming out in theaters, I think I probably would have been appropriately excited for it. Still probably pleasantly surprised. I think I would have gone in expecting good. Right. Right. because you know, I really like Andy Samberg, especially uh, <clears throat> especially now. Katie and I watched her book on Nine Nine uh, over the the quarantine and enjoyed it quite a bit. Uh, but Palm Springs was a streaming movie, and historically speaking, streaming movies suck. Even when you watch a trailer and you're like, "Oh, that one looks good," it probably sucks. Uh, 
there's a few exceptions and you know i know palm springs wasn't made for hulu it was bought by hulu uh, yeah still they often suck and hulu's not really you know the home of movies uh, to begin with so i went into this with pretty much no expectations at all and it turned out it was just incredibly good it's incredibly incredibly funny and well written and well acted and uh, just a bright shining light in uh, a time when we all uh, we all needed one uh, and i really uh, really enjoyed it quite a bit it was uh, it would have gone for my best movie not nominated except it got some golden globe recognition which was cool it did yeah they have the luckily they have the uh, comedy category but it is absolutely terrific you're a thousand percent correct um mine uh is on there go ahead and read it all right I'm excited for, for you to uh, yeah. the anna karenina award uh brian selects underwater wow yeah what a fun little movie underwater was that's what a, who, yeah, who would have thought i forgot about underwater but doesn't I think it perfectly encapsulates with this thing? You're just like oh, underwater, whatever, and you're like, oh my god, look how yeah. competently you did that. Yeah, underwater, the rare situation where, like, you know, a lot of these past movies, you kind of go in thinking like this is going to be whatever. Underwater, you go in pretty sure it's going to be dog shit. Yeah, and it's actually like pretty cool. They really commit to the bit. They uh, really the, the the guts that they had to stick the landing. Yeah, yeah. Go ahead. What else were you saying? I also just like Kristen Stewart always added value to a mm-hmm. movie. I, uh, yeah. Listen, it's it's this Kristen, about underwater. It's this Kristen Stewart underwater monster movie. The trailers make it look okay. It's dumped in January of last year. You're like, I don't know about this, and you see it, and like, sure, it's got problems. Its characters aren't fleshed out or whatever. But the second half of that movie rocks with a capital R. It is tense. It's claustrophobic. Its production design is great. And the ending, the way that they decided to go, we know what you want, we know you don't think we're going to do it, but we do it, is just a ton of fun. One of the more fun surprises we we had in the theater in a while. Just like, oh my God, this is turning out to be great. 100%. And, uh, and uh, it gets my Anna Karenina Award. Let's, let's move on to the other namesake award, shall we? Let's. The Girl on the Train Award. No, a Girl on the Train. I get the Anna Karenina now that you've explained it, but I don't get The Girl on the Train. That's a different movie. I mean, The Girl on the Train is, a, you know, opposite of Anna Karenina. Just a, the kind of thing that you you and I would see the trailer for and think, God, is that suited to our interests? Boy, really looking forward to that. Uh, Emily Blunt's great. Just a nice little, like, crime genre mystery thing. Uh a good trailer where could this go wrong turns out in the making of because it sucked it really really sucked and so now we also try to recognize the movie that uh, we are most looking forward to is most suited to our interests that uh disappoints that's right past winners have included uh we both picked deadpool right yes uh i picked the second half of this of a star is born and um, our last year's winners, I had Star Wars, The Rise of Skywalker. Noah had Queen and Slim. No, I'm going to throw mine on here. And you can right. read it in just a second. Are you away Go from the ahead. page? I am Terrific. away from the page. Terrific. You can read mine, and I apologize in advance. Go ahead. All right. Here I go. 
The girl on the train award goes to Tenet for Brian. Congratulations to Tenet. My runner up was I'm thinking of ending things, but Tenet is my pick. And it's not, I'm not even going to harp on Tenet too much um, because I think that it says a lot about the movie that I wanted to like it. I was, it's, it, it suited up my alley. It's a Christopher Nolan. It's got John David Washington, Robert Pattinson, Elizabeth Debicki. It's this cool inverted thing. The first trailer was great. It was going to be the big uh, original blockbuster of the summer before everything shut down. And I just did not connect to it at all. I didn't find it interesting. I didn't find it coherent. I didn't find it well done. I just, I didn't care for it. Uh, Again, I don't want to harp on it. So I'm I'm going to stop there, but it does get my uh, girl on the train award because I was so looking forward to it and it didn't work for me at all. All right. Uh, That's fine. I I told I totally get why Tenet uh, does not work for people. Uh, yeah, this is far from a situation where I go. There's there's no other situ- There's no other solution but to really enjoy Tenet. It's 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 weird and like doesn't doesn't try to be coherent. And if that if that's something you like, I guess I can see uh, why you might be uh, might find it lacking. Uh, I hear typing going on. Noah's putting yeah. in his. I've locked in my. Noah's uh, girl in on the train award goes to Wonder Woman 1984. Yeah, I was thinking about this as well. Yeah, this was a uh, you know we mentioned uh, mentioned earlier Wonder Wonder Woman previous winner of the Anna Karenina Award, a unanimous winner in fact. Uh, so of course you know DC movies pretty much all suck except. The Wonder Woman franchise. Patty Jenkins figured out what to do. Uh, and we got this new one coming out. And it's going to be like a big, uh, big shiny superhero movie. And when's the last time we got one of those? And uh, what could go wrong? Uh, well, they made it the way they did. <laughs> Just truly, truly horrendous. Wonder Woman 1984 is poorly conceived. It made no sense. It was poorly acted. Uh and is well. I'm gonna I'm gonna leave it. I'm gonna leave it there for now because it is not uh, it's not the last mention I suspect of Wonder Woman 1984. Uh, but just really had high hopes after the first one, and now uh, regard Wonder Woman the same as fucking like Aquaman. What a shame. Uh, let's move on to the best part of a bad movie. So this is pretty self-explanatory. It's the uh, it's the movie that we didn't like, but it had one shining spot. Previous winners, uh, I had Will Smith in Suicide Squad and Collateral Beauty. Uh, we both had Oscar Isaac in Suburbicon. And uh, our previous holders of this award, I had the visuals of The Lion King, and Noah had Joaquin Phoenix's performance in The Joker. Noah, go ahead and put uh, yours in there. Let's see what it is. All right. I feel I feel a little bad about this one because this is a movie that – it's a movie that, uh, well, I did not care for. I know has uh, has something of a following. Oh, interesting. Uh, so I, I I feel bad just being just just uh, declaring this a bad movie, but I didn't like it. So what are you going to do? Uh, okay. This is also very in keeping with my past two years of picks. I've made my selection. <laughs> Okay, well, I'm not even going to guess what it is, but I'm going to uh, see Noah's pick for the best part of a bad movie is Hugh and McGregor in Birds of Prey. All right, Noah, go away from the page. I'm going to put mine on here. Okay. Go ahead, explain. Uh, first of all, to be clear, uh, 
Harley Quinn and Margot Robbie is the best part of that movie. And those movies, uh, she's electric, but it's really not interesting at this point to be like, you know, who's really good. Margot Robbie as Harley Quinn. Mm -hmm. Uh, Yeah. Birds of prey didn't work. I don't get it. Uh, Why people are like, Oh wow. A good one. Nope. It's not, it didn't, it's not good. It's not as bad as uh, some of the others. Still not good. Uh, But Ewan McGregor, uh, it was a very, uh, very fun and despicable sort of villain. I believe he cut off people's faces. Uh, uh, yes. And like wore good suits and was just like a, he had good vibes in that movie. Uh, came away enjoying him quite a bit. Uh, maybe he died. Maybe he won't be back. I don't remember. It's been a while since I've seen Birds of Prey. Uh, and I'm probably not going to come back to it. You know, I, I, I mentioned this with you after I saw it initially that it just, it doesn't, it didn't seem like a movie. There's something just disconnected from my brain. Uh, I liked how colorful it was. I liked what they tried to do. I thought all, I thought everyone was good in it. I thought Mary Elizabeth Winstead was good in it. I thought Rosa Perez was good. You know, I, I thought everyone worked well together and the movie suffered from that thing where at the end, when they are working together, it's the best scene in the movie. And you're like, Oh, well, why did we save this till the end? Yeah. We, we didn't need it all to be little disparate pieces it's, why is this an X-Men movie suddenly? Well, not even the X-Men movie, because they didn't even have like them working together as a team at the end. But like the idea of, you know, at the end of the movie, we'll get to what you came for. No, get, give it to me now. Um, Hugh McGregor was just a delight in it. I will give you that. But um, yeah, the movie didn't work for me either. I, I like it more than you, but I don't know. All right, uh, Noah, mine is in there. Right. Go ahead. This is, good. this is good. I'm excited for you to keep talking about Tenet. Uh, Brian's best part of a bad movie. Uh, I think you'll be surprised. The fight scene at the end of The Hunt. That's right. I am. Do you remember that? I. Uh, oh, yes, in the kitchen. Yes. Sure. Sure. It was the definition of this category because you, me, and Joe on Skype were all going, well, this is actually really good, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. I, wow, the hunt. I got to pull up the hunt so I remember that for later. So you know, the, the, we the, the hunt. The hunt was that movie that was supposed to come out two years ago, August of 2019, that was about uh, a bu- seemingly a bunch of um, – of uh, social elites, a bunch of liberals stealing a bunch of uh, Republicans to hunt them for sport. Right. Yeah. And then it was Donald Trump talked about it at one point and then they pulled it from release and then it finally came out during the pandemic. And it wasn't about that at all. I don't really know what it was about, where it's political allegiances lay, you know, I really don't know, but the movie didn't work. I'm sure it took great joy in how it skewered both sides. (laughs) You know, the, the movie didn't work. It wasn't interesting. It wasn't good. The characters were weak. But at the end of the movie, Noah, there was a fight scene between Hilary Swank and Betty Gilpin that was riveting. It was well choreographed. It was brutal. It was violent. It was entertaining. It was well shot. It was inventive. And we were all blown away by it. Remember? I do. I do. Now that uh, the more we talk about it, that was a that was a well done fight scene that came sp- out of absolutely nowhere. Absolutely nowhere. They were spinning around. The camera was moving dynamically. They looked like they were actually getting hurt. The stunt women performing it were incredible. It was so well done. We were all baffled by it. 
So that gets my uh, my uh, best part of a bad movie. Wonderful. All right, our next, the antithesis, the worst part of a good movie. No, throw yours in there. All right. Uh, Here we go. Got to find it. There it is, down at the bottom. This is a good movie that we all liked. Um, that uh, the one part of it just didn't work for us. Yeah, and this is uh, exactly that for me. I'm uh, I'm in and ready to go. Here we go. Noah's worst. Oh, let me. Uh, uh, here, I'll cover it up. But let me. Um, worst part of the, where is it down there? Okay, previous winners. Actually, I'll just see yours. I'll just read them. Otherwise, previous winners uh, include um, the uh, the ADR bridge scene in Lady Bird. I still don't know what you're talking about. Uh, I, I had. Um, Kevin Costner and Molly's game and our previous winners. I put the sequel. I'm also cheating on this, this year, but the sequel to star Wars, the last Jedi was the worst part of that good movie. And Noah put uh, Lakeith Stanfield's small role in knives out. Yes. This year, Noah's worst part of good movie was defy bloods, big action firefight. Yes. Uh, which really like, it wasn't necessarily a bad scene in and of, in and of itself near the end when they have to, uh, you know, your favorite trope, they fortify their location. They have to defend against like yeah, the, uh, the people coming in. I just felt that it, 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 it couldn't have had less to do with this movie. This, this interesting exploration of, uh, you know, trauma and PTSD and like what it means to be an American and what America thinks of its, the, its black citizens uh, and what we think of the Vietnamese post the Vietnamese war. Uh, and all of this, it's just a very, a very thoughtful and interesting and well done film uh, that suddenly ends in, we have to fortify our position uh, and win a, a gunfight against the gang uh, that just was not what I wanted at all. And sure. really, uh, really, really disappointed me in that scene, especially because it's occurring kind of simultaneously with uh, the conclusion to uh, Paul's storyline off yeah. somewhere else, which just is way better. That's like, it's like the best of the movie and the worst of the movie happening at the same time. Yeah. You know, I, I, I can see where you're coming from. It worked for me. I, you know, I took it as a throwback to the movies that the, uh, the movie was emulating, but also I think that the fight fight, as I recall, ended pretty quickly and realistically in that regard, but I can certainly see why it was just a generic one. Something so ungeneric, ungeneric hmm, was happening, uh, at the same time. So I could certainly see that. All right. I'm going to put mine in. Uh, you're not looking, right? I am not looking. Okay. I would never it look. is. It, thank you. It is cheating, but uh, it's, well, what do we always say? Noah? it's our podcast. It's our rules. It's our podcast. It's our rules. And I truly feel this is, this is what's in my heart. All right. Noah. And so I, I, I have to be true to it. And I also looked at my uh, best movies and I really couldn't find too many faults with them, but this fit, like a glove, this answer. So I am uh, locking it in, All right. and it is very uh, long. So I'm sorry, you're gonna have to read a bit, and I'll I'll shorten it when when I can later. But go ahead, Noah. My uh, my worst part of a good movie. All right, uh, I've got a prediction in my head. Oh, uh, what is it? Yeah. What'd you say? Uh, well, my prediction is the entirety of Tenet. 
No. <laughs> just start to finish. Jesus Christ. No. <laughs> Have I been that mean to tenant in this episode? No, no. I'm 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 having some uh, I purposefully yeah. said I'm not gonna harp on it. I was very sure okay, no, it's not nothing. I know. To do That's why I'm i I'm doing the work for you because I know you don't like it very much and you're nothing. trying to be nice to me, so I'm trying to throw you a bone. Nothing by to do j- jabbing at it myself. Uh all right, your answer is not seeing Nomadland in IMAX and Borat's subsequent movie film and Barb and Star with an audience. Yeah, that was that was the worst part of those good movies. Were we going to Nomadland in IMAX? It's playing in, it was playing in IMAX in like January. Really? Interesting. Yeah, it was like an IMAX exclusive run it was having in theaters. Wouldn't that have been great? It was a very... A very, uh, very visual film reliant on a lot of landscapes. So it would have been nice, really big. You know, I uh, I miss theaters more than I can say. It's what I miss most about this pandemic. Um, it's my happy place. It's it's where I like to be, and uh, and not being able to see the the visuals of Nomadland, not being able to laugh and experience uh, another Borat movie. I saw the first one in theaters. And I remember that experience distinctly. And Annie Mumolo and Kristen Wiig wrote Bridesmaids and they wrote Barb and Star. And I saw Bridesmaids in theaters. And I remember that experience as well. People laughing in a darkened room at something together who don't know each other is one of the greatest experiences you can have as a person. And so I, I miss it entirely. And that was the worst part of this movie going year for me. And so it's the worst part of a good movie was not being able to experience it the way it's meant to be experienced. Um, all right, our last two categories, worst scene of the year. No, I will go first this time. My runners up, let me just say, so don't look at the page. I would never. My runners up are What's Up Doc and Capone. Okay. Which is, if you, can you explain that to the audience very quickly? Uh, is that where he's chewing on the carrots? Yeah. I, I I had I had Capone in general on my short list, but I couldn't I couldn't zero in on any particular thing. Right. So did, did he shit himself a lot in that movie, right? <laughs> yeah, he did. He did. And then my other runner-up was being all sneaky in The Little Things. Because, boy, did we have fun just tearing that fucking scene apart. It was the scene really where, among the worst plans. The scene where Rami Malek uh, decides to call suspect who he's held and questioned, Jared Leto, and say, Hey, I'd like to apologize for all that. Can we meet at a bar? which is the weirdest call anyone could ever receive. Jared Leto goes, okay. Um, He leaves. So Denzel Washington can sneak into Jared Leto's apartment and see if he has evidence. Meanwhile, Rami Malek is going to sit in the car, which is about a half a block away and watch for Jared Leto. Let's take that just step by step. That means that if Jared Leto did come back, he would have roughly 30 seconds before Jared Leto is at his front door. Yeah. which is not enough time for Denzel Washington to get out in any way. He's so far away that the only way to signal Denzel Washington would be to honk his horn repeatedly, which would draw the attention of Jared Leto, who would then see Rami Malek in the car and then know something was up. And finally, the biggest gap in that, which Joe, I believe, is that correct, rightly pointed out, which was why doesn't Jared Leto, or maybe you did, why doesn't Jared Leto meet him at the bar Yeah, that was to keep him there? I believe that was me. Why <laughs> Actually he... meet him at the bar. What His plan then is for him to sit at that bar for maybe 20 minutes and then go home instead of keeping him there for as long as Denzel Washington needs. Yes. Baffling. Uh, 
but doesn't no, even uh, doesn't even consider the uh, truly embarrassing five minutes of Denzel Washington escaping <laughs> by laboriously like climbing pipes <laughs> and like rolling and, off and, of roofs. And shockingly, he does have to escape in not short amount of time. And then this old Denzel Washington, who's a washed up cop in it, has to like pull himself up onto a roof. Yeah. No, no that's not my worst scene. My worst scene. Um, is on the page. You can go ahead. Oh, by the way, yeah, here we go. Yes. before you look, previous worst scenes. Uh, Noah had uh, Naomi Watts listening to Henry's tape and buying a gun in the book of Henry. The bizarre bureaucracy montage. And you, no one's going to know what these are. I had, uh, no one's going to know what these best ones are. Never mind. Let's, uh, why don't you just read mine? Well, you all remember from the book of Henry when she leaves a store and the tape's like, all right, go left, mom. And then she yeah. turns right because she's a fucking moron. And it's <laughs> like, mom, but she, but she says, she, she says to the tape, there is no right. As yeah. if her kid's going to go, oh, sorry, hold on. Uh, yeah, yeah, her kid had died, uh, so he couldn't respond. Uh, really bad movie. <laughs> Terrible stuff. I also had, oh, people have seen the Aquaman. My worst scene of 2018 was the 80s montage of building yeah. a weapon in Aquaman. Uh, and your worst scene of 2020, uh, and you'll have to expound because this could mean any number of things. <laughs> but I'm sure I know what you mean. Malcolm goes off in Malcolm and Marie. Why don't you, what do you think I meant? What scene do you, are you picturing? I think it's when he's uh, spending 20 minutes. Again, this isn't going to be specific enough. <laughs> when he's spending 20 minutes screaming about like all the fancy movies he knows and why they're good. Uh, and just keeps rambling on about yes, bullshit. It's, yes. It's when he's, when he, re- after he reads his review, and he spends yeah. the next hour walking from outside to inside, screaming about how the critic doesn't know anything, and he does, and uses old movies as an example. I um, I I also could have put from Malcolm and Marie him eating macaroni and cheese because I thought that was an assault on me. Okay, I felt sure. personally victimized by him uh, eating that macaroni and cheese. But no, you know Malcolm and Marie I thought was well shot. I thought they were both pretty decent in it. But this scene in particular, the movie didn't work. And this scene in particular, everything about it is bad. The staging is bad. I love John David Washington. I think he's terrific. I think he should have been nominated. He was nominated, but he would have been nominated on my list for Black Klansman. I think he's arguably the only – I think him and – you know, Robert Pattinson are good in Tenet, but I really like John David. I'm so excited for his career, but I don't think he's good in that scene. I don't think that scene is well written. It's overwritten to the point of exhaustion. It's meaningless drivel and it seems pointed and attacking someone that has nothing to do with, like, it seems like it's outside of the movie and is there just to expound on your film knowledge and to show off for the audience. And I think it's um, egotistical and uh, and just just bad, just badly written and done. Bad. Again, I'm I'm really going to have to ask you to uh, talk about a specific scene in Malcolm and Marie instead of the entire film. <laughs> no, I, you're you're right. That scene really is kind of emblematic of everything that's wrong with all of the movie. Yeah, uh, and those things just kind of occur in slightly smaller doses before and after that. Awful. But if you got to pick a poster child, that's a good one. It's that scene. I am ready for you. All right, Noah. Noah's worst scene of the year. 
Wonder Woman saves the day in Wonder Woman 1984. You mean the I renounce my wish scene? Yeah, yeah. Okay, the, the, gotcha. whole, the whole ending where she defeats Pedro Pascal and right. gets everyone to renounce their wish. You know, it's a common criticism, uh, and I think often a slight exaggeration of action movies and superhero movies and fight scenes that you can't tell what's going on in them. Uh, there a lot of quick cutting and close-ups and just bad sense of space leads a uh, leads a scene and often the big cum- uh, cumulative fight scene to be uh, hard to read. Uh, and I get where people are coming from, but I also think that generally speaking, you know what's going on. Uh, Liam Neeson is punching this dude uh, so that he can get his notebook or whatever and get the codes. Uh, and then he does that and then the scene's over and like you followed it. Was that a Maybe. random example or was that from? Yeah, it was. No, that was okay. just a, a thing that Liam Neeson might do in a movie. Perhaps he needs the codes and the fight scene for him to get them would not be so great. Well, if he doesn't have the codes, then we'll get, he'll need the codes, but, <laughs> but like, you know what happens when you start the scene and you know what, where we're at, at the end of the scene, the climax of wonder woman, 1984 was to me, <laughs> in a very literal way, incomprehensible. I did not know what she was doing. <laughs> the way that like she takes out his broadcast. So then he gets in this, like he starts standing in the light and speaking to people. And then she lassoes him and starts like speaking to people through him, I guess. But like, so we're, we're not even including her fight with Cheetah in the armor. I'm not. Uh, where she has this big reveal this big trailer moment wonder woman's back in a sequel and guess what she's got some fucking cool armor and shit yeah and then that armor lasts for about two seconds before it's all destroyed and she's back to Wonder Woman. yeah and that is that is that is also bad and it's and a kind of example of like that fight scene wasn't good and i wasn't necessarily sure what was going on at any individual moment but broadly speaking like wonder woman is fighting cheetah and like wonder woman has won i i get it I get the big picture. This scene, I truly didn't know. Like, is, why is she? I agree. Why is she lying down? Why doesn't she stand up? And she was uh, lying down at one. Yeah, point? she was. No, she. Yeah, she was like knocked against the wall and then threw oh. a lasso at him because there was wind. Like, there was I, a lot of wind. Yeah, I don't know why there's. She can fly. <laughs> <laughs> there's a lot of wind in the sky. Up above the clouds. It's can she just fly? I thought she can just jump really high. Could she fly? I think so. <laughs> she can at least lasso lightning and swing from it. That was cool. I just tru- truly fundamentally did not understand what was going on in this scene. And then it led to uh, her just compelling everyone to renounce their wish out of the goodness of their heart. It was just... I... Just in a... <laughs> inescapably shockingly stupid i didn't like wonder woman 1984 either that was very bad i do want to say that i think that it suffered partially i think it still would have been bad but i want to know what you think about this i think it suffered from the fact that we did watch it at home because you say you didn't know what was happening i didn't i didn't know what the rules were remember when we were thinking about it later and we thought oh so i guess because she made the wish she then lost her power, so she had to renounce. Like, that wasn't... I don't remember that being explained in the movie, and I think it was just because 
I mean, I was, <laughs> I was suffering from COVID-19 at the time, but I, I do think it was because we were here. We weren't at the theater. I think there are parts of these movies. I'm not saying that this is why I didn't understand it. I'm just saying for me, if you told me to blueprint the events in that movie, I couldn't uh-huh. like, we're like, why did they go to the middle East? I'd be like, I have no idea. I have no idea why they went there. I don't know. I don't know why she knew where he was broadcasting. I don't know why he needed to broadcast. Why did he need wishes to be? I have no idea. And I think it's because I just couldn't be immersed by the film. It wouldn't have been any better, but I might at least know what was going on. The, but that's uh, also a good pick because uh, the wind especially was just a, a renounced wish. It's just that's now gone down in the pantheon of like things you can make fun of from yeah. movies. <laughs> Significantly noticeably stupid. Yeah. You never want to be noticeably stupid. Never. All right. No, throw down your, uh, your best scene of the year. All right. Uh, let's see. This is going to take a, uh, just a second here i'm going to spoil i'm going to i'm going to spoil my movie okay so um i'm not going to spoil it in what i write but when you hear what it is if you haven't seen it just skip forward or it's just the end of the podcast you can just stop listening but uh certainly just skip forward a few minutes uh oh so you're 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 saying to the uh listener to the listener out there you're going to okay yeah not to you Okay. Uh, It'd be funny if I said if I said to you, no, I'm going to spoil it, but not not when I read it, but when I explain it, I do. So if you want to just exit out of this, uh, I'll just finish the podcast. Yeah, just like take my headphones off for a few minutes. I. <laughs> uh, all right, I have uh, I have put my answer in. Okay, here we go. Noah's best scene of 2020 in any film. His best scene of the year. Oh. No, I'm sorry. Before I look at it, can you read some of the examples and then our reigning best scenes? Sure. Uh, so in previous years, uh, Brian, you selected the ending of Whiplash as the yes. best scene of the year, which was uh, absolutely correct, uh, even though it wasn't what I selected. What did uh, you select? I forgot. That was uh, the first time uh, Scarlett Johansson eats a dude with her floor that's right. and under that's the skin. That's right. That's right. Yeah. Uh, we both uh, we both picked the big uh, calamity scene from Mother in 2017, a wildly underrated movie, incredibly good. Uh, last year, uh, you selected uh, the Avengers assembling, the final uh, definitive assembly of the Avengers That's in right. Avengers Endgame, uh, and I selected the uh, sub the simultaneous sequence of Beth uh, surviving her injury and then succumbing to her injury in Little Women. Yes, and this year Noah picked for the best scene of the year, Mads Mikkels dancing in another round. It's a great pick. I think it was probably my runner-up. Yeah, I I'm I remember going to right now, so go away from the thing. Yes, thank you. Thank you. I, when we watched this movie, uh, we both specifically shouted out uh, as that was happening, like, "Oh, an, an immediate strong contender for the best scene of the year for this podcast," and uh, nothing, nothing shook that feeling for me. I, th- I found another round to be incredibly compelling and interesting, uh, well-acted. I thought Madge Mickelson was great. I thought all four of them were really good. Uh, and I will, uh, I can, I can do this without spoiling. So I will, uh, but you know, Mads isn't in a great place. The whole movie, there's a running, uh, a running thread of, you know, he can't, he won't dance cause he has a bad back. Uh, 
and finally he reaches a sort of uh, a sort of place of comfort at the end and just busts out like the greatest dance scene since Ex Machina. He busts a move. Uh, he does. Just just complete enthralling, uh, completely mesmerizing and incredible and just in in exactly the same way that the scene in Ex Machina was where you're simultaneously thinking like, why is this happening? Like, this is just, is this just like the end of Shrek now where we're just, we're just dancing. The movie, the movie's over and we're just having a dance, like a big, a big choreographed dance, but also, but also just like, fuck yeah, do, do this for 10 minutes. Uh, was, was very exciting and I'm uh, very happy that we watched it. Yeah, it was, it's a really great moment, unexpected and, uh, uh very joyful. Um, no, you could look at mine in just a second. I just want to say that uh, my scene of the year is the one that stuck with me the whole year. It's more a moment, Noah, than okay. a scene, but it is the one thing from this year that I will uh, remember, I think, more than most other moments from film. So go ahead. What's did, my scene? Did I already allude to it earlier in the podcast? I'll have to just check. I... Dinner with a sister in The Invisible Man. I did. Wonderful. Yeah. Did you uh, say the spoiler when you alluded to it? I can't remember. I I, 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 I didn't describe exactly. I, okay. I think I said that so, uh, spo- you said you are, you are going to spoil this. I'm going to spoil it now. Yeah, it's a spoiler so- for the invisible man. If you have not watched it, truly don't listen to this uh, yet. But and, and if, if that's the case, uh, we'll see you next week. Please tune in. Um, I, th- but, I, think, uh, I think the way I described it was there's a scene with a knife. Okay, fine. Um, this is, uh, uh, so now that everyone's gone, uh, the scene of the year for me and really just the moment, but of the most visceral thing I felt watching a movie this year, a movie from 2020 anyway, was the scene where Elizabeth Moss finally convinces her sister to meet her at dinner, to explain to her what is going on, that her, her ex is invisible somehow and ruining her life. Uh, and the sisters finally, first of all, first of all, Noah, the scene begins with an incredible bit of comedy. Do you remember what it is? I don't. The waiter who comes. Oh, yeah. Can I just say, first of all, my issue, I'll have a little issue with the, with the best scene of the year. And that is because she calls her sister at like 4 p.m. and goes, can we meet somewhere? How about this place? And they go to the trendiest restaurant in like San yeah. Francisco and get a table immediately. I don't think it, so. It is pretty strange. But anyway, they sit down and the waiter comes up and goes, hey, have you ever dined with this before? And the sister's like, no. And he goes, well, we do things a little bit differently here. And she's like, okay, do you serve food? Do we order food and you serve it? He goes, yeah. She goes, okay, great. We'll do that. Can you bring us some water? And he goes, sure. I'll be right back. And he's so peppy. And the sisters have, and then he brings the water and she dismisses him again. It's hysterical. Yeah. It has no business being in the scene, but like, it's, it's, it's so funny the way he goes a little differently. I mean, it's just, it's perfect. It's so funny. The sisters finally almost believing her. And then the sister glances to her left, to Elizabeth Moss's right. And Elizabeth Moss, Elizabeth, Moss, no, Elizabeth Moss looks to her right, and there's a knife hanging there, as if nobody's holding it. And then a split second, it's literally a second. You see a knife, and you see a knife, and then sh- And then the sister's throat is slit. And then sh- the knife is slammed into Elizabeth Moss's hand. And she's standing there frozen, and her sister's bleeding to death. And then people start looking and they start screaming. Elizabeth Moss just starts, she's panicking. She doesn't know what to do. And her sister fucking dies. Yeah. It is mind blowing, Noah. We saw this in a theater. They, they, they were gasps. 
loud, audible gasps. It was incredible. You don't expect it. It is out of nowhere. What a brilliant use of film, of expectation, of sounds, of editing. Just unreal. I couldn't believe it happened. I still can't. Brilliant. It's a uh, it's a great choice. It was a it's it's great to be shocked like that in a way that like even in horror movies not you you know when someone's about to get their fucking head eaten yeah and then sometimes they do and it's really gross and you're still like ah but you can tell but fucking out of nowhere with that one it's great it's a great shit in in any other movie with any other director you would have seen a knife slowly being moved from a table slowly floating over to their table right yeah and yeah. then it would have happened this was quick and painful and hard and visceral and you felt every bit of it and in a theater it was one of our last moments in a theater together until hopefully you know a month from now um and it was just brilliant and incredible it's the scene of the year for me love it great choice all right great choices all around guys we really did a good job um noah that's it plug us up please all right, you can find us at whatsintheboxoffice.com. We are on Twitter at WitBoxOffice. That is also our Instagram handle. I am on Twitter at Noah Drukey. I'm at Brian DeServer, D-A-S-U-R-B-E-R. And of course, the feed for our podcast can be found anywhere podcasts are found. We are on Spotify. We are on Stitcher. We are on Apple Podcasts. Uh, our uh, tournament is ongoing, and our uh, Oscars coverage uh, officially has begun. We'll be uh, you know, talking about bad movies, talking about good movies. And uh, doing the show. It's a great time to get involved, to subscribe. So thank you in advance for doing so. We now have uh, three weeks till the Oscars. So next week, the worst of the worst films of the year. We're going to be talking about them. Um, also next week. Hello. Multiplex Hi. Madness Forever. We oh. are going to solidify the sweet 16 candles. And we have some doozies of matchups coming. Aladdin against Beauty and the Beast next week. Speed against Independence Day. We have My Best Friend's Wedding against There's Something About Mary. Pretty Woman against Jerry Maguire. Uh, uh, Armageddon against Face Off. Terminator 2 Judgment Day against the Terminator's greatest foe yet, Austin Powers. And Toy Story 2 v. Batman Returns. It's going to be... I mean, how do you choose from them? We're going to have to next week. We hope to see you there. This has been... What's in the box office? I've been your host, Brian. I've been your host, Noah. Thank you for listening. And in case we don't see you, good afternoon, good evening, and good night.